everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. We've got the usual crew here today. My name is Brian Vitali. With me, I've got James Galizio. Hey, folks. Josh Torres. Hi. Hello. Chow Min Wu. How's it going? And Adam Vitali. Hello. All right. I was trying to keep you guys on your toes by uh, changing the order. Just so you guys know, you guys all did, did well. No, I actually did notice, like, why did he do? The, why did he change <laughs> up the order? Chow doesn't always deserve to be last. He's the funny guy. He 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 should be. Uh, he should be second some of these days. He's a designated, yeah, he's but, designated funny guy now, according so. to a review. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, putting me on the yeah, spot. Yeah, I, I believe in you, Chow. All right, so yeah, it's middle of November, and we've got a couple of releases for this week. We've actually got more than a couple, but uh, two major ones that we're going to be focusing on this podcast. And then there's a couple more releases coming out next week, uh, not least of which Pokemon, and then a few others. So yeah, it is that time of year where we all have way too much on our plates. We're going to do our best to kind of sift through it as efficiently as we can, and make sure at least all of the major headlines and you know heavy headers at least get one look in on the podcast and try to make sure that we don't let anything fall through the cracks. Uh, So for this week, uh, just to put it out at the start, our main two games that we're going to be focusing on are Harvestella and, of course, Tactics Ogre Reborn. So James and Josh have been playing these two games, and they are going to be the headlines for this week. And obviously major games that are clearly in our purview, both being published by Square Enix, of course. Different styles of games. We've got like kind of the new IP farming sim, farming sim RPG hybrid. And then, of course, a uh, remaster of a very, you know, well, a very popular game from back in the day that a lot of us have a lot of nostalgia for. So we're going to start out here with Harvestella. And uh, I believe as of this moment, while several people have expressed interest in playing Harvestella, James is the one that has had time to uh, dig into this to some extent. So we're going to start off there, and I'll just go ahead and hand this off over to James and just say, hey, James, uh, I don't know if you were the one that has been planning to cover this for the site or if you were just more grabbing this out of your own interest. But like, what are, you th- what are your thoughts on Harvestella? Have you played games like this before? Uh, and just kind of your general impressions of the game so far. Well, that's like uh, several questions at once. Uh, I'm sorry. Off, I'm just giving you. I'm giving you options. You can you can take it uh, whichever route that you want. Uh, first off, I'm not the one necessarily covering the game for the site. That's Colin. Just they sent gotcha. us late code, and from what I can tell, like from impressions of people that have finished Harvestella, it's a very long game. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. also worth mentioning that uh, there were no early review code. There was no early review code for this game. So no one and you, got it and you just mean like yeah no one apparently like the day it released there were no reviews anywhere yeah no nope. it's, it's like I have I have a friend who recently finished it and his final play count was like almost eighty hours and that was like at some some few hours like doing side activities and stuff like he really went like hard on the fishing in the game but in general it is like to give a a ballpark like you're you're looking at at least over fifty hours and then there's game. like a post game too apparently yeah so. so. What, what do you think so far? You're about like the first three to four hours in, right? So I finished the first dungeon, so I have an idea of what the overall gameplay loop is like. Okay. This game, maybe the marketing was a little bit misleading. Yeah, that's one that's thing they I kept saying. I, mm-hmm. Go for it. My bad. They sold this game like Rune Factory in the sense that it's primarily a Harvest Moon slash Story of Seasons game. And then the JRPG is like the seasoning that makes it a bit more interesting. 
it's the other way around. It's just an action RPG, JRPG, and the farming stuff is basically... Oh yeah, from what like, I hear, it's kind of like how Atelier Riza Riza is more, much more of a JRPG first than an Atelier game. This yeah, is the, it's like the farming season. Like, yeah, it's like near. Yeah, the farming season you have means to an end. Like you're primarily like farming because like you that's like your primary means of like income, for example, and you use that income to to you know supplement your travels, you know, as you're adventuring into like whatever dungeons there are. So like it's not like a like. I guess as much of a daily life focus as something like Rune Factory and uh, Harvest Moon, from what I understand. Yeah. So if you like farming games and you like RPGs, as long as you come in with the right like mindset, you'll probably have a great time with this, because as a JRPG, it, it's a bit of a slower-paced start, and I feel like a lot of the early like Steam reviews, if you look at them, a lot of them kind of fell like... I don't want to say victim to well i guess yeah kind of fell victim to it because the game has a lot of exposition at the start and it really tries to kind of handhold you a little bit in like the first hour but then once you really get going and you're exploring the first dungeon then especially once you finish the first dungeon the game really starts to open up and um it's kind of impressive just despite the game obviously being very budget I feel like out of all of the more budget games that Square Enix has published in the last like month and a half, this one kind of makes the most of that budget because it looks like incredible from an art style standpoint. The like um, both like the 3D visuals and like even like the portraits just look really beautiful and the story is off to a good start. Like, and I've heard that it gets really interesting eventually, like later on. And the soundtrack, I'm just going to say this right now. This game's soundtrack is like a front runner. Like this is like probably top three soundtracks this year. It just goes incredibly hard. Well, that's pretty high praise. Like I, I, I saw like obviously the 2D art. I forget who the artist is, but it was something that was still very apparent in the marketing as being a strength of the game. Uh, I kind of agree that a lot of Square Enix's releases in the last couple of weeks have had to like target a more artistic or more unique, you know, visual presentation. Like I'm thinking of Dio Field in this sense, where we kind of talked about how that game had a really, really clean art style, really something kind of unique and different. And Harvestella, I can sort of see that being the same way. But I'm interested now in looking up who the composer is. Uh, oh, I don't know offhand. On, on this. The, Goshino. Oh, oh, no. Yeah, Goshino was the on Harvestella, so yeah, oh. guaranteed bangers and, <laughs> left and right for sure. I I, I believe it might have been Collins as he's as he's also going through the game. Uh, when you talk about how this game is more of an RPG first with the um, with the life sim farming elements is more window dressing, how the second first or second like boss encounter of this game reminded him of like a Final Fantasy 14 raid. I assume more in style than more than in uh, function, but basically that it goes really hard really quickly in terms of scope and story. I don't know if you've gotten that far yet, James. Yeah, I haven't gotten quite that far, but everything I've heard from people that I kind of trust about this sort of stuff it's like it's definitely not going to be for everyone necessarily but if you're in that camp of you like games like harvest moon story of seasons specifically rune factory i'd say and you love like action rpgs and you want something that's like 
a good mix between a rune factory and just but with just a little bit more rpg to it it's like this is i've been really surprised at how much i've been enjoying this so far and it it seems like it doesn't hit everyone quite the same but um a certain portion of people that have been playing it, it's just probably like on their game, of the year list. And like, even early on, I can kind of feel that, yeah, no, this is going to be something special by the time I'm done with it. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you, James. Do you know yeah. if you can actually get married in this game? That's the secret. Yes. yes. Okay. So the game way it works is, is that um, you have side quests for a bunch of different NPCs to um, like, and then you can like level up your level with them. And anyone that you've maxed out your level with, you can choose to marry in the post game. And it's it's one thing that it's something that you directly have to choose when you want to marry someone, apparently. So it's not like automatic. So you can just like max out everyone that you want and then just be like, OK, well, I want to marry you. Yeah. So the, the from what my friend was saying since he got through all that stuff is so as you're getting to know like your companions that have like these like pips kind of like S-Link ranks almost. And like once you max those out, you can craft these uh, items called promise rings. You can craft multiple of them, but you can only give one person the a promise ring, and that's it for for that playthrough. And then uh, in the post game, like you live with that person uh, as you're you know uh, going through content after like the main story is over. So there there is a romance mechanic that uh, you know people have been wondering you know ever like ever since it was unveiled, and they were kind of like t- tightly. Uh, lipped on like whether it would have or have not but yes there is you know a, a, a sort of partnership system uh in it's this also game. worth it's also worth noting that you can choose your pronouns for the main character mm-hmm. and then choose the body type separately and then there's no like um restrictions on like if say you go male female or non-binary you can still you know pick yeah, any whoever, partner you yeah. want yeah whoever uh, same sex different sex it doesn't matter so that's cool you know just lifting the barriers, then there's no barriers. Go who you want, be who you want to be, and that's you know that's not, that's needed them for to do that. And it's also neat it is because there's like some NPCs where if you're paying attention, you'll notice that there are like non-binary NPCs, and the game doesn't make a big deal about it; it just treats it as normal. Which, but that's how it should be. Yeah, that's what you want. To yeah, do. and we we saw that like in uh, Xenoblade Three. So it's neat that it's just. It doesn't have to be a, like a listed feature anymore. It just is. It's just the way people yeah. are. Um, but it is interesting to hear James talk about how this game was marketed like more like a straight line Rune Factory. And it's kind of like James is saying, it's not like Rune Factory, but if you do like Rune Factory, but wish it more seesawed towards the RPG end rather than the, the life sim end, then, then this game kind of occupies a space that not a lot of games do, where it seems like. All the games like Rune Factory, you can correct me if I'm wrong, they have those elements, but they're very much on the back burner where the life sim stuff takes center stage, where this game presented itself that way, but it seems like it's not quite that way. Yeah. I'm uh, interested. I don't know if you're this far in yet, but like one of the big marketing things for Harvestella was like there's like these this season in between the normal seasons, like called the quietest, where like just like mm-hmm. take out all your crops, take out all this and that. And I, I'm just wondering, like, I, I don't know if you don't, you know, but like really how? Okay, okay, because like there seems to be like a like a, a almost like a reset mechanic inherently and narratively in the game, and I'm wondering like 
if that dampens enjoyment or if like or it's okay to start over with like your your farm and so forth so you know the, the obviously i'm i'm very interested now that i've heard like more people get their hands on this game like i was talking to my friend about it and he's been playing through you now me and i've been going through like all these niche square enix releases uh him more so than me but like when like if you were to rank it you know like going from like titles he least enjoyed to most enjoyed it'd be like valkyrie elysium star ocean then harvestella then dio field you know um Wait, what, what order was that it's, from it's least sad enjoyed that we, to most enjoyed okay <laughs> yeah, that's it, it's sad that you gave me the order and i'm like i can't tell from that order if that was most to least or least to most because a lot of these games i i've not finished our ocean yet but the other ones that you've listed like dio field and i'm like a lot of them have kind of occupy the same space where i think they have like specific strengths but I don't know, man. Ranking these games is going to be tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. That's why I specifically like mentioned like going from least enjoyed to most enjoyed before ranking because <laughs> I know, yeah, it, 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 they do. Uh, you make a good point that like each of these releases are pretty distinct and unique from one another, and they excel in different ways while having like different weaknesses uh, to them. Um, and, and they're yeah, definitely but, like yeah. they, all, they, they all share that common bond of like they're not a game for everyone for the but for the audience that they do cater to, they like strike a pretty strong resonance with them. Yeah, and I don't want to go too much on a tangent, but that reminds me, like when we talked about Dio Field on the podcast, we were mostly positive on it. But now I'm looking at the Steam page, and it's all reviews mixed. Recent reviews mostly negative. And I'm yeah, just it was like, for like a hot minute, it was like mostly negative, and like you don't know what the fuck's happening. But like it's just like it's, <laughs> it, it kind of hurts a little. I'm like, man, I really like Dio Field. But yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, oh, did I did I miss something? Or my is my taste bad? Do I have bad opinions? Oh no, that's it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you just have bad opinions. <laughs> Relatable. Yeah, a lot right? of the, yeah. So a lot of a lot of these times, I have to kind of revisit, like, and either boot the game back up or just recontextualize it with other people, as we will likely get the chance to at the end of the year, to say how much did I really enjoy this game? I don't know. Uh, and we'll have the same when we go and talk about Star Wars and the it's... Divine Force and other games that have come out in that same sphere recently. It's an incredibly hectic, like just busy season. Uh, like, uh, like all these RPGs coming out, like from October to November, like is it, kind of brutal for us because when we, it's time for like end of the year stuff. There's like kind of like the, the crunch time that like all of us kind of face of like, okay, what do I want to get to, to maybe represent on that game mm-hmm. of the year stuff, and and now just just like releases left and right, and it's just like. Oh my gosh! And there's on top of like any other assignments that, that that we have assigned to like maybe releases like on the back half of the month or early December, uh, and so forth. So it's just it's just a lot. It's uh mm-hmm. it, it feels overwhelming and kind of feels like drowning at some point. But thanks, Square Next. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, yeah, and also I, I, the crazy and, and thing I don't is... want to single out any specific <laughs> company, but if I was going to, it would be Square Next right now. Yeah, and Square Enix has been kind of on a release spree for better or for worse, kind of competing with themselves at a certain extent. It also doesn't help that you know there's from our side behind the scenes, but like for a good chunk of these, like we've been getting like late code as well. So just like <laughs> for RPGs, that's kind of almost a death sentence when it comes to like kind of getting it out at a timely manner too, because we want to make sure we take our time and and pr- produce something good and something like helpful uh for for our audience well the worst thing like the thing i desperately want to avoid is i know i personally can't get to everything i want for instance i wanted to get to soul hackers before the end of the year it just won't happen we'll have to rely on people like uh josh and adam who did play it to carry their opinion on that game and represent the site 
But like, I want to make sure that we don't get to the end of the year stuff, and we have a game that we're like, oh, I guess no one got around to that. No, no one got the Pokemon. We're not going to discuss it. You know, I want to make sure that everything at least gets a genuine look in. But yeah, we have games like Pokemon coming out next week, and someone's got to get to that and hopefully get you know form an opinion on it within a few weeks. Yeah, we had the fucking mission first remake coming out at the last day of the month, yeah. and it's like, and it's like, and that's uh, technically eligible Quentin, if it yeah, was Quentin, good. You, uh, yeah, you get to carry this one, and it's all on you. <laughs> and then like not only that but we go into december which the way that our coverage works would be eligible next year but we have like the minstrel song remaster we've got dragon Tre- dragon quest treasures we've got the crisis core remaster so luckily those games are remasters uh so they'll uh the context in which they'll be contextualized is more limited but like those will have to be like in the in the when we're scheduling our end of the year podcast and trying to catch up on all our other stuff those games will have come out and like be already like burning the wick for next year, so to speak. Like it just doesn't end. And then we go into January and February where we're already, um, we've already kind of talked about that at length. Uh, how those have gotten crowded and surprise, they've gotten even more crowded in the last week. And we'll get to that. But to try to try to, to, try to loop this back into Harvestella. So I know, James, that you've only gotten a few hours into it. But can you just tell us, like, as you are like at the outset of the game, like the initial objectives that are given to you, does it immediately like throw you in to like, the RPG dungeoning aspect of it, or does it like more go slow roll it into the uh, into the city and the life sim part? Or I'm just like wondering like how it presents itself to the player in the first couple hours. Um, so basically, once the exposition starts going, um, very quickly you get a reason for why you want to explore the first dungeon, and then like right after that, you're told, okay, so now you can explore all these other dungeons in any order you want to, though there is a suggested order. And that's going to be in the uh, chapter after that, which apparently is really long because there's three separate uh, dungeons, which means three separate like story arcs in this uh, chapter that are about as long as the last chapter you did. Um, but Any yeah. chapter is a handful of hours long. Well, the first chapter kind of- is a handful of hours long. From what I can tell, the next chapter is like 10, 10 to 15 hours long, if, if not more. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, like each, each, yeah, each dungeon that comprises the next chapter, you're expecting to be about the same length. And it's kind of fun, though, that it's like nonlinear in that way, where you just kind of it's more it's more open ended or wide linear, I guess. Is that the term now in terms of being able to say, like, all right, go have fun, go do what you want. Uh, One other thing I will say about the game is that it's only available on Switch and PC. And, um. I am playing the PC version on Steam Deck. Uh, it works really well. Um, the main reason, sorry, the main reason I um, wanted to play it on uh, <clears throat> Steam Deck was because I heard that it ran well there, and uh, more specifically, I heard that it did not run well on Switch. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have definitely. I mean, heard some, some I remember there. some of the demo impressions. Right, called out the Switch performance as being pretty, uh, pretty terrible. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, yeah. Because the demo was because the demo wasn't on PC. Yeah, it was just on Switch. So I'll, I'll I remember. I think I remember Josh lamenting, like, imagine if this was just a Switch exclusive and you had to just deal with it, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, uh, like some like other SMT five or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one day happy first anniversary we'll SMT five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the game works really well on Steam Deck uh, to the point where it seems to be Steam Deck aware which means it's a game that has like 
aspects of the Steam API that calls for like system functions on the Steam Deck. Like normally, if you're playing an RPG on Steam Deck and you reach a point where you need to type in something, you just have to know the the uh, shortcut to open up the software keyboard, which most people, if you have a Steam Deck for like more than like a month, you've memorized that by now. It's just like I Steam, don't memorize it. Steam I don't know see it. No. <laughs> I, here I am sitting like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> don't worry. I'll speak for both of us. Uh, but, well, that's um, the Steam, Steam button and what? what was the shortcut? Uh, Steam button and X. There are the okay. shortcut. I don't know that either. But, right, um, well, we learned something. Oh, today. wow. Um, James is just operating on another level. Well, anyway, but the important thing is that game... Harvestella does it for you. You can be a dumb, yes. you can be a dumb dumb like me and still yeah. get the keyboard up. Yeah, so it's it's very clearly like it it runs basically perfectly. It's like a locked 60 FPS at cool. 720p. It's got a decent amount of battery life on that setting. And I mean, as far as I can tell, like there's no actual graphical settings besides resolution and frame rate. So Does, is it is the aspect ratio of the resolution like 16 by 10 and all that too? No, like I it think it's sixteen by nine. Oh, all right. That, does, that doesn't nine. actually bother me, but I was just I was just curious. I, I used my first PC monitor was a sixteen by ten monitor, uh, so I'm very used to having like the um, the letterboxing on games that were only supporting sixteen by nine. So that doesn't. I know. I know some people get really frustrated by that, but I I just I guess I got used to it uh, early on. But yeah, cool to hear that it is. Uh, I've been playing a little bit more. I, I've been sidetracked by another uh, responsibility, but uh, that you'll hear about next week. But I've been continuing to play Star Ocean: The Divine Force on Steam Deck, and it's it runs okay. But I kind of wish it it wasn't as nice as Cold Steel was. Um, so I'm kind of learning that. Even he, I'm learning quickly though that even if a game runs just okay on Steam Deck, just the all the benefits of even that have been something that I've been willing to like put up with. Where it's like, yeah, it's okay. It doesn't run the best, but I can play it in bed or on the couch, or uh, I can take it with me to some place. Like all those all those trade offs make it worth it. But uh, I don't think I've actually ever played a game yet that is com- that is truly Steam Deck verified. Is that the term that they use for the ones that they actually give like the green check mark to? Yeah. It's it's either, it's either just been unknown or not supported officially. So it'd be, it'd be it is um, is Harvestella officially Steam Deck verified? No, I don't know how the whole process works. Time. Gotcha. Is that, is that is that a Steam assigned like a Valve assigned uh, yes prompt or yes. does the publisher do that? It's a Valve assigned thing. Though obviously publishers can can um, request uh, their game to be tested. Because uh, it makes sense because on Valve's end, it's like, oh, well, if somebody thinks that a game should work. It makes more sense to, from their standpoint, to test that one because it's like, well, yeah. Well, because they can, they can take gonna, the information. Uh, I wonder if they're ever going to like crowdsource that like process and just find a way to like kind of streamline that so it doesn't, it's not there, the bottleneck isn't on Valve's end. If you install the uh, Decky Loader plugin thing, on Steam Deck, which again, that's something that most people aren't going to do because you have to go into like desktop mode and do some things to install it. There is a plugin that um, lists the Proton DB rating for a game on the game's uh, page on Steam. So if you want to have another way of checking before downloading a game, if it's like actually unsupported or if it's just like a quirk or something that's out of date, that's useful. 
But again, like most people aren't going to be using like a plugin loader, even if there are like a bunch of plugins that I would recommend. So, is a Proton DB rating like another like crowdsource thing where people are playing it like on Steam OS on a PC, assigning like yeah. how well how compatible it is? Yeah, and then like Proton DB even has like a separate section for people that are playing on Steam Deck. So, it. I would say if you're if you own a Steam Deck, Proton DB is probably the first place you should you should check to see if a game works instead of actually checking Steam. <laughs> no, it's good to know because I've only ever played the two games on it, Cold Steel and uh, Bind Force. And then I was thinking of playing. I mentioned it earlier, Soul Hackers on it. And I guess people have a lot of. Uh, it's one of those things where you have to enjoy tinkering because I see people say like, "Well, if you uh, have this one running on this." Uh, experimental fork of proton it works a bit better but it still has these it has these issues but input these launch commands and it ends up running a bit better and things like that so even if i do soul hackers next i still quite won't be at the point where i played something that just uh works flawlessly verified out of the box but i'm still having a great time with a few things that i have tinkered with on there consider trying out a solitaire and space cadet pinball Let's see. why why those specifically I'm just, I'm just thinking of like really, really old like Windows installed games way back in the day. Of like what I used to play. It's like just try them out on Steam Deck and see how it goes. Hey, you couldn't play them in, on the couch before, and now you can. So I think there's like a, I think there's like a browser version of a Space Cadet Pinball that I saw like a few months <laughs> back. I'm like, and I think I, I, I think I played it for like a few hours. I was like, you know what? This is actually game of the year. Yeah, nostalgia. Well, I oh, draw over judgment. Really different instead. I bought a wireless monitor and been streaming from the PC instead of using the Steam Deck. That was my. How's that? Wait, there's wireless monitors. Yes, it has no wires. I can what only stream f- it within my room, but I've been playing it on my bed. I mean, I show you that picture before. Okay, I, I, I need I need a backup. Like, is it battery powered? Like, just monitors ba- battery powered, and there's a dongle that's relaying the signal. So I'm just playing it wirelessly on my bed. Okay, what's the battery life on that? How big it is, and does, like, is it actually like good? The whole thing is four just a hours, battery. Light, sort of lag free, and what is it? Uh, lost my train of thought here. Four hours and wireless. How's that? Like, how's like the input latency? I didn't have lag. I was playing Bayonetta free on it and what Street Fighter free. What? I was playing Street Fighter free. I, I beat Kill <laughs> no problem on it. I was like, okay, why Street Fighter three? Because the fighting game is perfectly test lag. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's how you test lag pretty much. Oh, <laughs> and Street okay. Fighter 3 has like a parry mechanic that like is pretty, you know, I'd be pretty good with it. Not landed reliably. Man, that sounds cool. What the fuck, Chow? But yeah, yeah I bought this because I was watching this video. It's like this, uh, was it? This lady was playing Genshin Impact on a wireless monitor. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, yeah, there's a Kickstarter for a newer model. So I, I tried buying a newer model and that's what happened. So I'm just playing in my bed. <laughs> You got influenced. Wait, oh. so where where do you put the monitor? Just like mount on the wall, bed. or no? Just playing it because it has no wires, like, right? So I just but it does it have like a? I'm still I'm still trying to like paint this mental image. Is it like do you have it like kickstanded up at the foot of your bed or something? No, oh, I, I, it just has a little little little. Oh, Rich has provided a picture of this in, in Discord. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they he literally just have the monitor like lay stuff like on like cushions by his bed, and he's just ha- having like a good life. It, yeah, I mean that's the real lazy solution. This is funny as fuck. That's now really I'm not constrained by the hardware limitations. Now I can just use my PC. Holy oh, shit! Yeah, oh, just oh. laying on the cushion, having a good time. I am okay. What the fuck, Joe? Technology is amazing. That's crazy. I didn't know they even had that shit. 
I am just I like how Chados came in here and just completely put us on another tangent. Well, they think technology of is amazing. Everyone's too busy investing in uh, Steam decks. Like, why not just Steam it from my PC? <laughs> I like how before it was like PC out at your desk or PC on your couch, and now it's like PC on my wireless monitor propped up against yeah, my cushion we're, 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 living in, we're, we're here living in 2022. Meanwhile, Chados like 20, 2082. Wow. <laughs> Uh, as a as a slight tangent, I was having issues with the official Steam Deck dock. Like I couldn't get it to output unless I was in desktop mode. But then, like I tried it again the next day, and it worked perfectly fine. It just immediately in the Steam gaming mode output perfectly, no issues. And then the day after that, it went back to like having issues again. So I'm having some issues with I think the firmware. I don't know if my cable is not quite rated right or what, but. Uh, when it works, it works really well, and I'm I'm hoping Steam. I've seen a few people uh, on like various Reddit's and things like that, kind of just trying to troubleshoot it. So I'm guessing once they know all the official, all the different like specific user hardware configurations, that they'll get it uh, sorted out. But enough of that tangent. So uh, thank you, James, for talking about your initial impressions of Harvestella with us. Just another one of those games that we want to make sure we do give a look in before we get just immediately swarmed by all the other things coming out. And one of which, which I know a few people on the site have been poking at and have been really uh, excited for, is, of course, the other game that came out in the last seven days. And that is, or literally came out, the release date was yesterday, I think, officially, uh, Tactics Ogre Reborn. So the history of this game's announcement and release, we've kind of talked about a lot and how it was originally leaked and then leaked and then leaked and then leaked again before officially being announced. Uh, But it's finally here, and I know that uh, Josh has been one of the ones that has been primarily playing it uh, for us on the site so I know you've been sharing a lot of thoughts on this. You have played the original release or either the original release or the PSP release. I'm not sure which or both. I played both. And uh, it seemed like you had a lot of opinions on it. Uh, but I I had not played the original release. So some of the stuff where you're kind of comparing uh, yeah. what you this knew being from then, nerd. what you have now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I enjoy people being nerds. It's a good thing to have. Uh, so I'll just hand it off over to you. Like your thoughts on Tactics Ogre Reborn so far as someone who has uh, been a nerd for this game. Yeah, I, I played the you know original Tactics Ogre, the one that came out in '95. I think they played that on PS One, and then I played Let Us Cling Together on PSP. I forgot what year that came out. Um, but I, you know, I played more so Let Us Cling Together than the original. I really like the original a lot as well. Um, so I was really excited for Reborn. Um, you know, they were. Uh, I love Tactics Ogre. It's it's one of my favorite games consistently. Just the incredible characters, incredible narrative. Incredible gameplay, like I just, I, 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 I love it so much. So I was, uh, I was really excited for Reborn, and I, my, my general impressions, like about, I'm about thirty hours in, I'm almost done with, uh, with a route because this, uh, this game has a law neutral and chaos route that you can undertake. You have like uh, different ev- story events will happen, and th- there are different characters you can recruit on uh, each route as well. Um, so, but like. It this game is for people coming into it who have played either of the previous releases of Tactics Ogre. This is very much like on the narrative front and the characters front. Obviously, the same game, but it is very different gameplay wise. Uh, they they made a lot of uh, great quality of life improvements, but they also changed up a lot of the gameplay systems. And I'm not really sure if that's hitting for me as much as i wanted to like i was ready to really really fall in love with this game but a lot of the new systems just don't really jive with me um so one of one of the um new systems uh they they 
did in this game is they have these uh blue and red uh stat buff and debuff cards that uh randomly appear in battle uh in stages so in the in the game you know you're you're going from like place to place on an overhead map uh once you get into a certain region you'll engage in a fight um there there'll be story cutscenes before the fight starts uh before and after sometimes um to give context of what's going on in like the overall story and why or maybe a, a story of like why you're there in the first place in that region uh and so forth um and then you know as you deploy your units and as the battle uh goes on just randomly through rng these uh cards will uh start appearing in the middle of battle and when you when you or an enemy lands on a tile that has these cards um, they pick them up for temporary stat boosts. So uh, a card may show up that have like a sword icon on it, and if a unit uh, lands on that tile, they'll like pick up the card and like use it on themselves. So that sword icon will be like, oh, physical attack is up. Uh, there might be a one that's like a wand and that's a magical attack up. Um, and these, I are just want to make sure I understand correctly. Yeah. These are these are new. Yes, these and uh, they're stat random. Cards. They are ran- they randomly appear uh, as the fight goes on. Yes, gotcha. Okay, just want to make sure um, I understood that. How long did it take for these cards to appear? Because a lot of like like early uh, access players never mentioned the- this card system. Uh, um, they they appear very early, like like within like the first few turns. Like they they appear very frequently as well as turns are passing. So they're 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 pretty, um, like what. They they appear very early on, like but, but also like in the game, like in the first level, second level sort of thing. Um, like in, I want to say they they start appearing like very, like within the first few stages for sure. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there's this mechanic that's like very, it's just there now. Uh, it's not like something that's like gradually introduced to you. It's like it's just kind of like a fact of life. Um, here, so these cards um give you a substantial boost. Like even one of them will give you like almost a 1.5 like times damage boost like they are they are pretty substantial and uh, a unit can stack four of these cards up on them so you can have like a mixture of like attack uh, physical attack ups and magical attack ups on them there are also other cards um that boost the amount of mp restore per turn there are other cards that you that um Trigger auto skills more often because they revamped the skill system in this game. Some of the skills now that your units can have can automatically activate uh, per turn. For example, like Meditate um, on units which uh, increased uh, our uh, restored MP uh, even more. Um, that That's an auto skill. And if you land on like a card that'll trigger that more often, you'll activate Meditate more often. Um, Berserk, for example, for Berserkers um on auto skill so if they uh you know stack up on auto skill cards to activate berserk more often when their turn uh begins um and then less so that you see um of course i saw i mentioned there's also red debuff cards and these don't do not often appear as blue stat cards so they're kind of like negligible but the uh from what i remember the only things that these debuff cards uh affect is that they just wipe off any any stat buff cards that it's on a unit. So obviously, you if they appear, you, your units don't want to land on them. Uh, preferably, you try to push an enemy unit uh, into them if they have cards on them, or they just walk into them on their own, uh, and so on. Um, and uh, 
and you know if a if a unit has like four cards stacked up on them and they pick up another stat card they'll like bump out like the oldest stat buff card that they have so there's kind of like shuffling if you if you make them shuffle through them um these stat buff cards and i i think early on like i kind of got used to it but i don't like the way that it changes up the gameplay of the game um it feels too it feels too overpowered in like in both ways it's very swingy like there'll be there'll be um units where there are like it's just i guess i should mention that this game also has had like a big uh stat inflation on its uh values um compared to the previous versions like very early on like in like like late chapter one early chapter two you're already seeing values of like uh, a unit having like 800 hp which is absurd in that part of the game if you're playing previous version um so just the stats in general are just bumped way the fuck up um arbitrarily in this game and so it kind of has this reliance of like if you don't have these stat buff cards and you're just playing normally you can still do output some damage but it feels a tad too long to kill enemy units if like if you're going at them with a squad that hasn't been like yet that doesn't really have much cards on them um on the flip side though if you do get if rng favors you and you've been stacking up on uh, stat buff cards for like your hard-hitting units you can like easily like two to three shot like uh enemy uh units if you're um playing to to advantage of like if they're weak to like magic uh damage or weak to like physical attacks like they'll, they'll you'll just wipe them off the face of the earth if you've been if you know rng favored you and you uh stacked up uh, when cards. i think about this sort of mechanic from like an aerial glance i'm like i kind of like a little bit of randomness in games sometimes you know to be, keep you on your toes to be like a little bit you know change things up have a little bit of that you know it's the reason why we like people like roguelikes at times because there's just an element of randomness that you kind of have to just deal with and sometimes it's in your favor and sometimes it's not but this sort of sounds like there's just like a, this is suddenly a really big component to a game that didn't have it before. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, I'm and, kind of hesitant on it. Yeah. Um, it, it's also not like great as well, like for some like more delicate fights, because as you get further and further to the game, you'll just have like, like bosses who are like pre stacked up on four cards at the beginning of battle. And they are a big problem because they just do a shit ton of damage to your units. From the offset, they can, they can easily like one or like not one shot you. They can they can say two to three shot like a, any units they see um, in the game. So you have to plan around that. And this is coupled with one of the one of the new mechanics in the game, which is there's a, a union level for your party where you have a, a hard level caps in the game now. Um, the, the, these level caps will gradually raise as you progress to the story. So very 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 early on when you're like starting the game, your union level will be at three so all your characters can only go up to level three and then once you do like the next story fight it might like get bumped up to level five and then as you do like another uh story battle um you maybe it'll get bumped up to level eight and then so forth and so on like that level cap will gradually increase but it, it is it is meant to like obviously dissuade you from like you cannot over level in this game um you can't like you, that's just none of that um and that's if a you new mechanic too Yes, union level mm-hmm. is a new mechanic. Uh, usually, like you know, if in older uh, entries, like if you there was something that was like really, really like difficult for you, like you always had the option to go grind out levels if you wanted. Um, and that that was like you know it. 
it like for me i i don't mind it that much i know a lot of people have their fair share of grievances because obviously it's an arbitrary level cap and like this this level cap is usually almost always like two levels below the like boss units so like you're you're fighting at a force disadvantage uh because the developers said so um, and for for me like i don't really mind that much because when i used to play older tactics over games i don't i never really grinded that much in the first place but if you wanted to like get your units to level cap immediately there there's also um another new system in place they took out random encounters from the uh, uh, from older titles and they replaced it with like a a train uh, a training mechanic where like you can go to like um like places you've like captured uh uh and conquered and you can like just go to like a training stage in them where you can like grind out levels grind out uh, weapon levels um the the only thing that uh changes up with them is you do not like uh enemy units in those training stages don't have loot so you can't like loot anything from them and when um when your character like dies in them obviously they don't have like the timer that like in the, that makes it so it's like a permanent death if you don't get to them in time so it's like it's obviously more of a low, low stakes like hey but uh, but i never really found the need to really use training stages that much because my character is just like i i use like generally the same party like almost a stable party almost throughout the game um with a few changes here and there depending on like new characters i get um but they've had no problem like keeping them at level cap just by using them consistently so it kind of almost reminds me of like this what are they called uh the skirmish missions in triangle strategy yeah yeah a little bit like those where there's kind of like very generic versions of maps you've already cleared that you just do to try to catch up the other units that you've recently recruited yeah. or things like the, that. The, the, the weird thing about this is unlike, you know, triangle strategy and unlike uh, older tactics ogre games, like these training stages, you do not get like any income from them, like no money at all. While like random encounters like let us cling together, that was like a, a decent way to like get loot so you can sell it off and just get money in general. While in this game you can like it, there's a very real possibility if like you're very gung-ho about like spending stuff you can like run out of money and like have um not a great not you don't have great ways to like kind of get money back pretty fast in this game um i remember I'm, triangle I'm, like, strategy also like money actually would like i don't like it when games have an economy where everyone you're just rich the whole time and you can afford everything you want so in triangle strategy there were times in that game where i was really poor but you could always just like grind as many of those missions as you wanted to afford whatever you want if you put in the time you could get the currency back so it was kind of nice just to have the option even even if it was it required grinding to to get that in 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 reborn i i struggled to find a way that like if you really exhausted your money and like was irresponsible for it there's like nothing you can like reliably grind over and over again to kind of replenish that stock you'd have to just could try to continue on with the main story and like sell off like things that like mm-hmm. drop drop in like loot and uh, stuff. Obviously, there are there's some side stages you can unlock uh, as well if you if you know where to look to get uh, more of that as well. So um, that's kind of like where I um, you know the it's kind of a weird thing where I really really love Tactics Ogre, but I just don't like a lot of the new changes that they put. Even though the quality of life stuff. From the with, in, like UI wise is great, like crafting. And for also, example. does it have like like the turbo mode? Oh right, yeah. There's a fast forward mode which definitely speeds up battles, but like it, 
it makes it makes a difference, but it's just it just uh, it's it's not like a flat out skipping animation. It's just it makes them faster. Um, but there's no, there's nothing that's like an ultra fast mode where like you just like um, choose an attack and then pu- numbers will pop out. Like everything still plays out just like in faster, you know. So it's not like that crazy of a difference, but it just it it reminds you of how slow uh tactics ogre was like in normal speed when you turn it off you're like oh yeah that's how it was like <laughs> so yes there there is that option um crafting in this game in reborn is you know way 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 better than it was uh and, and let us cling together where they're like everything there's no chance of failure in crafting um and the way that like you can you can pretty much like craft things multiples of things very fast and say like i want to craft like upgrades to like uh, a chess piece that's like on eight of my units there's now just an option to just like craft all upgrades on the on the people that are wearing that chess piece all at once it'll say this is how much it's gonna cost you're like okay and then it'll just do it all for you right there and then so it's very simple to to do that now and uh way less cumbersome than in the let us cling together where it was like one by one by one by one and and um it, it always had like a pot stirring animation where sometimes it could just fail as well so it's like a very time consuming process while everything here is just very instant uh, when it comes to that and um, voice acting is I think it's largely fine even uh, switching between the languages the, a, a funny thing you can do in this game actually is in the middle of a cutscene you can actually switch between languages in the middle of a cutscene so like a person will be saying something in English and then if you choose Japanese the very next slide they say it'll be in Japanese and they can flip oh, it. I, I actually wish more games did that. That's actually kind of neat. Yeah, because you know, some games will have you like, oh, you have to reboot the game or go back to the main menu to like switch the voice track or something. Um, while this game is just like, it's very seamless if you want to go uh, go that route. It, um, it's not all the line deliveries like kit like are, are amazing, but like it's a very, it's a very theatrical style of like voice acting. It's like, it's a kind of theater play. It's so uh, it's it's very hemmed up in some aspects, but it's it's amusing. Uh, I I primarily am on the Japanese voice track, but I you know I, I went back and re-listened to cutscenes with the English voice track, and they're largely fine. Like I I think you you don't really have you're not really missing out on like if you go one or the other, or you can just turn it off. And uh, there's like there's an option to turn off voice acting. You don't have to like deal with any sliders, and then you might hear just still a murmur. It's just you have the option to just turn it off. Um. And yeah, it's just there's also like a big, big uh, gameplay mechanic uh, change as well from previous versions where um, each class has these uh, special moves called finishing moves. And in previous versions, you needed to uh, build up another resource called TP to um, activate those. And this one, they got rid of that mechanic and everything is tied to MP now. So your spells, any like manual skills that you activate that's tied to mp and finishing moves are tied to mp so mp regen and management is pretty like very very valuable in this game so that switches up a lot of like things like for examples uh, for example adam like rune fencers and valkyries are actually really good in this game now which historically rune fencers and valkyries are not were not a good class um because of the because of this mechanic they can now like spam stuff their finishing moves like ruination because that's just tied to MP. You don't have to like wait to build up uh, TP for it. And because uh, Rune Fencers and Valkyries have Meditate as an auto skill now, they can like more reliably build up their MP resources to 
do these finishing moves. So like a lot of like finer balancing stuff like that, like drastically changes up the gameplay for like a lot of classes. So in, in a certain aspect as well, like because finishing moves are much more of a you'll be using them a lot more now because they can they're just freely available through MP now. In in some respect, you're just kind of your most damaging moves in this game are like just spamming finishing moves because you know you because you can use yeah, it right away rather than having can, to build up TP. Okay, right, you can use it right away if you have a, a stable income of like MP. Like like right now, my 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 strategy. Oddly enough, I didn't know this was gonna work, but because I was like I was thinking about it, and like most of my party is like just com- comprised of Rune Fencers and Valkyries because they have access to meditate so they can passively regain MP. They have access to spells and they also have access to their finishing moves. So I can just plan her and, and they also have access to like a healing spell as well. So they're like they're kind of like they're all around like very stable and work together really well because they can make use of like all the resources they come across in any stat buff cards. Yeah, because in the original across. release or in the PSP release, Rune Fencers were sort of like a jack of all trades. Like they had some magic, some healing, mm-hmm. some physical, but they weren't really good at anything. But because of these changes, that kind of changes the dynamic pretty pretty dramatically. Yeah, and they could also like and 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 generally like in in the PSP version, like equipping like a lot of heavy armor like wasn't really uh like you know the, the, a great strategy because like you'd get your turn much later on than you would you want while in here like equipping like heavy armor is kind of valuable because all the uh, inflated health value or uh, inflated stat values so having like survive like reliable survivability like just the have the difference between like a, a move killing you or like barely leaving you at one hp um makes a different like all the difference in the world um mm. in, in this version because like there'll there'll be times where like you really want that extra turn for that unit to get the job done um when it comes to completing mission objectives. So it's you know, I I, I know it's there's like a lot of nerd shit when it comes to tactics ogre and going really, really deep into like what what is different, what is the same. And I, I don't know, like I don't think this is like the definitive version like version of like tactics ogre it's a really good version for newcomers like there's the most user-friendly version of tactics ogre it's still an excellent strategy rpg but as a fan of the original tactics ogre and let us cling together like this is it's one of those things that like i i wonder what this game would be like if it didn't have the if the stat buff cards were just optional just like an option that you can turn off and like you can like revert the values back to like what it was like and let us cling together and i wonder if if you revert that back would it still be would it like shift that dynamic and like uh would it make it too easy because finishing moves are so powerful because they're indeed you don't have to worry about tp anymore like is that would that be would that be a good compromise would that be would that change it up too much to be too much in your favor like i don't think this is like significantly harder than the the previous versions like uh like early on like like i want to say like halfway to like to three-fourths of the game like it's like to me i don't find it that difficult yeah i know quentin quentin who is a contributor to the site was saying it felt a lot harder but i was sort of thinking to myself i've only played the psp version which i love like the psp version also has some bite in places it's pretty it can be it can get tricky yeah so like 
I'm sure they're both, you know, difficult and maybe in slightly different ways. Like the game just, I'm not going to say these games are hard, but you know, they, there's, they're not pushovers either. There's some challenge. Yeah. There's definitely like, there's actually like big brain strategies they have to employ sometimes. Like sometimes you want, okay, I'm going to put this person out there. And if they die here, you know, they won't permanently be dead. I stopped like three turns the, uh, when uh, three of their turns to like resurrect them, which is like takes a long time for them to actually like permanently die. But like the real value of them just being laying dead is like they're like a body bag that like will block enemy units at some point. So sometimes you're just like tactically like, you know. Or sometimes you just need to be, be a distraction for a little bit. Yeah. Like, hey, distract these yeah. guys and then you're you're going to die. Yeah. Don't worry, I'll come back for you. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's like it like you the objective isn't like to keep all your units alive always, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I also I think that like it feels so swingy that I don't I don't really know if it's like significantly harder. Like the only thing that's hard about it for me so far is like is when the game like just throws bullshit at you. Like when there are bosses like in the back half of the game that are just like pre-stacked with the four stat buff cards right yeah. away. So you're kind of left to, to like really go for the scraps because they are, because the power balance is already way 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 like huh, that, that's interesting you. that they can be like okay because of the way of the uh the union level the boss will always be two levels above you plus with a new card mechanic we will give them these bonuses inherently yeah so it's like it's like it's a deliberate choice that they've tweaked up the difficulty in that way yeah i think that those, those are the only like bottlenecks that i'm like i've had to like scratch my head a little bit other than that it's like i don't know it just it just feels so it's not like what I want really wanted out of like Tactics Ogre, like in terms of like how you revamp the game. Because I'm always open to like them trying something new, but that it's not necessarily mean that I always enjoy what they what they uh, put out. You so know, it sounds like kind of like on a if we step back a bit, mm-hmm. they made they made a lot of changes to this game, and sort of inevitably, inevitably. It's not going to land for everyone, depending on what they liked and what they didn't, or whatever. Yeah. And it sounds like instead of making this like just tactics ogre, let us cling together with you know a small tweak here or there, and possibly make it a definitive version, it's almost like just like an alternate version. Like here's just a different version of tactics ogre, better in some ways, worse in others, depending on personal preference. Um, so it seems like people could clearly make a case why they might prefer this version or why, why they say, actually, I just like the PSP version yeah, more or whatever. Absolutely. So. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this is just, uh, it is an, another new version of Tactics Ogre. It's uh, very different from its pre- previous releases, just like how Let Us Cling Together was very different from the original Tactics Ogre. Yeah, we haven't even talked about the class. Well, you sort of talked about the union level, but yeah. like class level versus individual levels. And right, like yeah. That. yeah. yeah. So but one of the big things they, they touted uh, you know, uh, in this game is like they reverted back to how the original Tactics Ogre did it, where uh, jobs and classes are now tied to a unit. And they're not tied to like a class or, or, or job level. So everything is uh, dictated by the unit. Um, and I haven't really like had any problem, um, you know, leveling someone up uh, like to current level, because um, one, they're off. Obviously, there's class marks, so you can like get take any existing unit and like switch them to a to a job. Um, but also, because of union level, there'll be like a lot of battles where like the majority of like your main party will not just like get experience because they're at level cap. So all the all that experience, if you have someone like, um, like at level one or, or at a at a lower level, all that experience that you gain is like all funneled into that unit because all the other units cannot 
take that experience. If every if everyone can get like experience, that would be divided up into like them equally. But if it's just like one or two like units that are under leveled, all that you experience that you would gain after battle are all funneled into them. So and I then see. yeah, so they they catch up very very fast. They're also there's also experience charms. So the charms are just a new minor system in this game where there are some charms that just like you can consume them and they'll give your unique experience. So sometimes if there are, if you get like a shitload of experience after battle and no one can make use of them, it'll actually take a good chunk of that experience and take and make it into an experience charm, which you can consume to like a lower level unit later or whatever. Um, you can, there's also charms that you get, you get that can change a, a unit's element because there's like a, a whole elemental system in this, in this game that has like advantages and disadvantages against uh, certain units, so you can make uh, use of like bonus damage. So you can kind of more freely um, switch up your uh, uh, a unit's like elemental composition, so they're better equipped to face off, you know, whatever units they might uh, be facing in like a certain stage. So you can, uh, and and those are and those charms are just you know they're they're handed out pretty um, freely. Like it's not it's not like something that you'll be like scrapping for because they'll they'll be in loot bags, they'll be in after after stage rewards, uh, and so forth. So like the so jobs being assigned to units again, and with how the experience uh, can funnel into like uh, lower level units, and because of the union level stuff, like I I. Never have had to think about like levels uh, in in this game as much as I did on like lower uh, earlier releases of Tactics Ogre. So that that part of the game, like it's just kind of like a breeze now. Mm-hmm. So now I know this is going to be hard for Josh and Adam to to potentially put themselves in this mind space, but let's say you're maybe a younger person or a person who's only recently come to strategy RPGs, and you're listening to a bunch of boomers talk about um, Tactics Ogre and how it was different between back in the day and now but if just the game just as just tactics ogre let us cling together tactics ogre reborn if if it's something that you don't have nostalgia for and you just kind of you're going to play the steam version or, or a console version because it's the most convenient way to play like why should people be interested in this game uh just more holistically um I mean, it's it's one of the, it's still one of like the the better strategy RPGs out there because yeah, this is one of those games that like you cannot steamroll um, enemies and like there'll be stages where like you it's going to be difficult to take out every single enemy unit and there'll be stages where it's like okay, I have to focus on the objective target no matter what and like I will sometimes have to like let let people's bodies drop on my side to like achieve it. So it's one of those th- uh, games that like. There's no clean victory most of the time. You're usually you're usually trying to like fight till the bitter end, trying to make something work, um, and, and it really forces you to think about, um, you know, what types of uh, unit compositions you have, what kind of party you're going in with. You have to consider the environment. There's element uh, elevation uh, bonuses um, depending on like the units that uh, you're using. Um, it's just it's a very old school type of strategy RPG that you know doesn't require you to think a bit of like how to achieve victory, especially at like the later parts of the game when they really uh, ramp up the difficulty. Especially in this version, where like the, the tactics ogre is never is rarely about putting the odds in your favor. You kind of have to make your own luck almost. Um, especially doubly now that like you know you're kind of at the whim of like cards at some point too. 
So it, for anyone who's looking for like a, a pretty challenging and demanding strategy RPG, it's still one of the better ones out there. Even even with the tweaks, you know, I still like it a lot. And also because like the 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 story and the characters are just like really excellent. Like that's always been one of the one of the shining features of Tactics Ogre throughout any of its releases. Like it, there, there's such a, a compelling cast in such a fucked up world honestly um it, it is it is a very much uh you know a story about the brutality of war um how it changes people how it probes people into like doing stuff they don't want to um and, and you know and, and it's it's very replayable because there's like three routes and like and each of those routes are pretty different from one another yeah and um, i kind of add a thing here um so yeah first of all there's there's story branches and it gets pretty like there's a lot of different permutations on how things can go. Like if you played Triangle Strategy earlier in the year, which also had some story branches, this Tactics Ogre has more, and they're a little bit more. There's a little bit more that can like alter how like a scene or a, might play out or how a character might act depending on what exactly you did. But also Tactics Ogre has just like a lot of also like side content, which. Um, by that I mean, like, there might be side stories that have, like, side missions and, like, actual, like, character story narrative writing in them that are, like, compelling and interesting, but they're optional and they're just, you know, just like a side battle here or, or over, over there. And it all helps to build, like, a really great world with a really good cast. And there's also, just going more pure gameplay, there's these, like, dungeon areas that you can go to. Uh, the most, uh, uh, infamous, I guess, is the Palace of the Dead, which is like a 100-floor dungeon. Um, and that's really just kind of captivating more on a gameplay front where there's just like a lot of tough battles, a lot of cool battles. You can get a lot of great like items and loot and equipment. And uh, you can even, there's even some like side quests to get new classes and characters that kind of involve different things. So it's just like a really dense game. And I, I assume a lot of that sort of stuff is, you know, getting away from more like the individual battle mechanics are pretty much the same. And there's so there's just a lot uh, yeah. to do. And it's all like compelling. It's not just like, oh, here's just some random optional, you know, battle over here. There's just like a lot of extra story, extra character stuff. Um, it's just very, very dense and very, very, it's just cool. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very, it's very compact in the way that like it. It presents itself. It doesn't really overstay like it's it's welcome with like certain scenes and characters. Like it keeps the story like moving along. You're never like in one spot for too long in the in the game, and things things happen. You're you're always in for a roller coaster ride, unlike what what happens in um throughout the story because you know you take control of a, a character named Denim. Um, you cannot change the character's name at the first playthrough. You can. In subsequent playthroughs, but uh, because it's voice acted now, they actually do say Denim's name out loud in the script. So uh, they wanted to keep uh, uh, that intact. Um, and just like and seeing his rise to power, you know, uh, uh, like him and his relationship with his sister, and how that that like and how war really like transforms that relationship uh, throughout the game and all the the characters that you meet. Because you know you like. You you don't play as the you don't necessarily play as the good guys in this game. There's no good guys and bad guys in this game. Everything is kind of in war. One might say there are no good guys and bad guys. There's only a violence feeding into violence for whatever reason. As, and, as uh, an outsider, like of course, before this game had voice acting, uh, I would see people like share just lines of dialogue from this game, and it's got a bit of like. 
I, I want to say edge to it, but I know when people say edgy, they almost say it like disparagingly, but um, it just seems to have like a bite to it that a lot of games just don't like I'm trying to I'm trying to kind of vocalize what makes me interested in the game from a distance. And it just seems like the characters are really well-rounded and they, they have like layers to their personality and they're very opinionated and it's not very clear. It's not like these, this is your party of seven, you know, quirky characters and they're, they're your good guys. And then they, they're going to go on this quest and it just seems like it has a little bit more nuance to it, uh, has a little bit of bite to it. And this is something that is definitely on my list because, uh, because I obviously Adam has spoken about how much he's enjoyed. I think, like he said, he's played Let Us Cling Together was the first time he's played it. But I know he's put a ton of hours into that and uh, has spoken highly of it for a while now. So I don't know. The word of mouth in this game is good. And I'm glad that both of you were able to kind of elucidate both on a gameplay perspective when that's kind of where Josh immediately headed to. And then from a narrative perspective, which is where kind of Adam headed to, uh, what makes this game so special in in both of your eyes? Yeah, I just, I still think it's a it's a pretty excellent strategy RPG. I, I you know I do have my uh, my my quips with it, um, but it's still like if you're just coming into it for the first time, you know, uh, definitely give it a shot. It's a very very dense game with a lot a lot of hours of content. If you want to, one final thing maybe. Is, um, I've heard that. So I know a lot of times when we post about this on our Twitter feed, people talk about like, can you turn off the smoothing? Uh, yeah, I've heard that the game looks better in motion, like the way that the sprites animate, and that I, helps. Is there any truth to that? You think, or are you do you just kind of have to accept the the sprites for what they are? It's 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 a little bit of both, right? Because like uh, like it's uh, beauties in the eye of the beholder. So some people might be more bothered to like honestly, like I got used to it within like the first like 15 minutes and then it's never like because when you look at the character models themselves like for in person like you see that there was definitely some sprite work that they did to kind of like make these characters more detailed in their sprites it's just there's something about the way they like kind of blend into each other that feels a little bit off but in motion like it like it still feels it still looks crisp in motion it's hard to like describe that in words you really have to see it for yourself but like at the I don't. It doesn't really bother me. I'm like, it looks fine to, to me. It looks fine, but I know a lot of people how are feel very strongly about the the what was put out, and I think I think it looks way better in motion in front of you than what compressed screenshots can convey. Because I think it actually looks pretty crisp when you're actually playing it for yourself, and it's really hard to like discern that from screenshots because screenshots make it look a bit more blurred than what it actually is in front of you. That's that's my opinion of it. Um, I also really want to give a big shout out to like just the uh, remastered soundtrack of this game. This this game sounds incredible and reborn. It is amazing. Like you know, it's it's gonna be it's it's gonna be difficult to like how do you like how do we fare like a remastered soundtrack or, or, or soundtrack to a remastered game into like game of the year stuff. But like I like for me like the 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 new arrangements of these tracks is like phenomenal. Uh, honestly they really elevate like the sound design to like a new level in this game and a lot and a lot, a lot of the sound effects are just really really great now in reborn and just just checking there there's there is no soundtrack toggle uh no but all right i mean i I, I don't have like nostalgia for the old soundtrack i just don't didn't know it, if there was an option it, it doesn't really need it for this one this like they, they all sound very like l- it's, it's, not it's like more a, like it's a, more a, like way more clean, a way more cleaned up version of, of like the original, but like it, but the, the they cleaned it up so well 
that like it just like it sounds like crazy good. Not like it's so not it's, like they changed up the instrumentation. Yeah, where it's like it oh, this sounds it up, very gotcha. different. <laughs> so, yeah. mm. but it's uh, yeah, that's uh, that's my initial thoughts of Tech is Over. The review will be coming out fairly soon. You know, we did get late code of that, so you know, I'm uh, I really want to make sure that you know I convey my thoughts to it, like both new and uh, 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 newcomers and veterans in a presentable way because as you can hear from this is like i have a lot of opinions about tactics ogre and all of its versions so just it's still it's still like i said if it's if you're new coming in have fun it's it's awesome it you will you will find it difficult i i I promise you well thank you both adam and josh for talking to your thoughts on tactics ogre and josh specifically on tactics ogre reborn and now uh, we'll, we'll earmark a very short time here for some a game that we weren't really planning to talk about, but we kind of introduced it last week. And then we had a comment saying, like, sure, I'd love to hear about that. And that, of course, is the, uh, the game of the month. Uh, and that is Sonic Frontiers. I know I'm being a little bit cheeky here, but it's been kind of a, a game that I think for, for the word of mouth on it seems to be surprisingly good, but also in a very, like... Uh, honestly meme aspect to it i wouldn't so, no i wouldn't say that it's sincere people yeah no, no set like us straight james game. like what what is the give us the uh sincere uh you know mask off sonic frontiers impression what is this game is it actually good it's my favorite 3d sonic game what was your favorite uh, I, before this sonic adventure 2 Okay, yeah, because it's like one of those things that's like, okay, was the like it, it got us thinking like was there ever a good 3D Sonic game? There? There there have been. Like people like to shit on Sonic Adventure One and Two nowadays, but those are good games, and I'll stand by that. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed them when I was like a kid. You know, <laughs> you say that your favorite Sonic game was Sonic 06? No, <laughs> I think something's wrong. Okay, so I have a friend that told me that he loved this game to bits, but when I asked him, "What's your opinion of Sonic 06? I love it. I didn't want to take the wind out of James's sales, but when he said it was like his favorite Sonic game, like relative to like what, like Sonic Heroes, Sonic Lost World. But all right, so obviously when uh, Sonic <laughs> Frontiers was first, if anyone thought that uh, Lost World was my favorite 3D Sonic game, God, <laughs> I, I I played that recently. It's terrible. <laughs> All um, right, so so Sonic Frontiers. Obviously, this was like uh, a month and a half ago or so. We got our first like IGN exclusive footage of it, and it did not show very well. And people, you know, Sonic has a reputation, and people were taking the opportunity to make a lot of jokes and have a you know have a good laugh at its expense. Fair, but it, not, it was not a good first showing. Either. No, no, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like saying I'm not saying it wasn't warranted. Yeah. Uh, but now yeah. that the game is released. Uh, and being sincere, like the word that James used, a lot of people really do seem to be enjoying it. So, uh, you say this is your favorite 3d Sonic game, uh, James, just tell us about your time with Sonic frontiers. I know this is a bit, uh, unorthodox for us, but I'm genuinely interested to hear your thoughts. All right. So it is still 3d Sonic game. So there is a fair amount of jank, uh, running around the open zones or like each of the islands that the game is mostly made up of feels great. Uh, I, I hate saying it like this, but you really do feel like uh, Sonic. There's a lot of momentum in like uh, how you're getting from point A to point B. There's a skill point. tree in this There's game. There's a skill tree. The combat is surprisingly good. I, that, I did not. I, expect- I, I think that's the thing that, 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 that surprises me the most. It's like people have been actually like praising the combat. I'm like, man, this does not show well at all. But they were marketing this. 
Yeah, when you're actually playing the game, the combat feels pretty good. It feels okay. snappy enough, and especially as you're unlocking the skill tree, there's a bunch of different, like, actions you can kind of flow into, and different, like, enemies that you're facing are, like, weaker to specific attacks. So it get it gets to a point where once you get really good at the combat, the, the less time combat takes up of the of like the game you get into a flow and it's not like it's not like it's stopping you like when combat's good it feels like it's just a natural extension of the game flow which honestly that's the best thing you can hope for with the sonic game so yeah I mean, it's, got, it's got it to the point that i'm like man like maybe i should try to like squeeze this in before the end of the year like i i, I kind of like there's been enough talk about it but you know from people i know including james that's just like do i like I'm trying to think of like the last Sonic game, like a 3D Sonic game I played. I'm like, was it, was it Heroes? Whatever the one on the Wii was, I forgot. Oh, if you played the one on the Wii, no wonder you haven't played one recently. Because um, Secret Rings, Rings or Secret what? Rings sucks. No, it was Sonic Rings? game where he's he's using a sword. Black That's, Knight. I, I didn't have, I didn't play the, that. I, I think it was Colors or Heroes. I'm trying to remember which one, but. I I definitely have strayed away from Sonic 3D Sonic for a really long time after hearing you know, but yeah it's you know? it's it's, it's it, like this game this game also caught my attention like Frontiers also caught my attention because people people have been like earnestly saying it's like dude if you like Metal Gear Rising you'll like this game I'm like what? every boss has its own unique vocal theme. Uh, and they're really good. Like uh, one second, uh, let me see if I can. Yeah, yeah. Like the, everyone I've, I've talked to, it's like, no, you earnestly. If you like Middle Gear Rising, you'll like this game. I'm like, what? How do you? I don't even know what the fuck you're telling me. That's crazy. <laughs> Animal Machine, son. <laughs> that, that, that's that's like the last game I expected to be invoked for. Like, you should play this because it reminds me in a way of this. When you say it has good combat, when I think of 3D Sonic, I just think of homing attack. That's really all there is. So, like, how does it? how does the game play like how does combat work so there is a homing attack still but you can follow it up with like a com like a string of like punches and kicks like a just just mashing like square racks you can kind of uh just keep punching and kicking the enemy for light damage and then there's like a finishing kick that does a bit more damage but if you press either of the bumpers before you finish the string you can follow um follow it up like a dodge up with uh, a number of different attacks and then there's also like a ranged attack you can get where if you hold the left trigger where he'll like kind of like do sonic booms like <laughs> with his feet and like shoot like, them at the enemy all right <laughs> and then there's like like if you do a boost in midair with like the right trigger you can like follow up a boost with different attacks that are and then there's like a stomp that you can combo in so it's like you can like really get some like actual combo strings going if you uh if you memorize which uh actions can combo into what and it's really fascinating just how much uh, damage you can like get going in a short period of time another thing that threw me off about this game and i like saw some cutscenes of it is I don't think they changed up the voice actor, but the voice direction, like he has like a much Very deeper voice yeah. uh, in in this game. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like it's like it's like Sonic went through puberty. <laughs> yeah, 
to put it one way, people were not happy with the last couple of stories that uh, Sonic had. Mm. Like, uh, Colors and Lost World were just... They were bad. The, like, the, honest, one, the one before this was like forces, right? Forces, yeah. But even that one, the uh, it it tried to be more serious, and then people were like, "This, this is this is trying too hard." I, I'm trying to remember, for, forces like you had you design your OC hedgehog or, or animal, or in, yeah. in that as well. Okay, yeah. yeah. I remember they had like a Persona Five Joker costume for forces. That's what I remember. And I was like, "This is a weird game." Yeah, but yeah, I, I think I think it's amazing. I guess that like Frontiers, despite all the shit that it got pre-release, like broke through people, and like people have uh, you know just been enjoying it a lot. I think it's a great success story, and pro- like probably a great blueprint of like future Sonic games, um, at least for the next batch. I imagine um, the, the even, even through all the marketing, you like it's not open world. Okay, it's open zone gameplay. And yeah. it's like, oh, all right, well, so, but it seems like it, the, the new formula works and has been driving with a lot of people and it, it's gotten me to like, at least think about like, maybe I should go pick this up and give it a shot and try it out. It's broken uh, steam uh, records for most concurrent players of a Sonic game. It's like over double what Mania had at launch. Okay. Yeah. And Mania was that. Fan, the official but made by like a like a, a fan made group right yeah to, okay i i don't remember like i'm trying to remember like all the sonic games from recently it's like what's that one okay. oh yeah like i forget i forget the exact uh history like with i think it's like head cannon and tyler hesse and like made an official like they made like the the first of the ios ports and someone someone in here who knows all this is going to say like no it's completely wrong but yeah i know what you mean by like an official fan game uh and obviously people say like mania is the direction this series needs to go and hasn't really gone that way but at least it seems like you know here's sonic team themselves saying like hey we can do something you know novel and different um, they they they, and, they need that you know it's Sonic Team if, if, if <laughs> Sonic Team has been in a downward spiral for uh, a while now. So well, we've talked about this uh, Mark a few times on Steam, but Sonic Frontiers is overwhelmingly positive with five thousand reviews. That's whoa. insane. <laughs> yeah. Also, probably worth mentioning. Going back to our previous topic, Tactics Ogre on Steam when you're comparing like concurrent players to other Square Enix releases, it's actually doing pretty good, like relatively. It was, it was like at 8,000, which like, compared to like Star Ocean, that's like double, almost double or whatever. <laughs> or Dio Field, which is <laughs> yeah, a well, track for a thousand. But it had like yeah, 8,000. It's like, hey, and I think Valkyrie, I'm not sure what Valkyrie ended up at. Oh, yeah, Val- Val- Valkyrie's, yeah, Valkyrie's a weird one because that came out right, uh, <laughs> on the same day as Tactics Ogre. And delayed from like, the console release exactly but. yeah and that's that, that weird choice by square enix but that's square enix in a nutshell recently a lot of weird choices and we'll talk more about platform choices with square enix uh coming up <laughs> but uh you know thank you james for talking about sonic frontiers and i am i'm actually like hella interested in this uh just i hear you can oh, you can fish with big the cat and i'm like okay well i've seen a lot sure. of like memes and fan art for fishing with big the cat so apparently people have uh really endeared to that specific aspect of the game yeah, i think there's like some soap shoes dlc as well so i'm just like okay 
Well, I just hope that they're not like those traditional Sonic fans. If it doesn't play like Sonic 2, then it's a shit game. It's usually what I get from the basics of all the Sonic fans I've seen. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, uh, maybe I'll, if I if I somehow find time, uh, for, uh, I will I will try to play this game and see what I think of it. We know we don't have time. That's the sad part. That's what I said. If I somehow find that, like if I, if I just see like mm. time, like if I just like look under my bed, like oh, there's time right there. Holy shit! If you found time to be Persona Five, well, you surely have time for Sonic Frontiers. Mm. Oh, that's, remember when I said I was going to play that when it came out on PC? Uh, yeah, it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. It's on my list. I do like the idea of like, yeah, I never played uh, Pokemon because I was playing Sonic Frontiers instead. <laughs> you know what? Sounds great. That sounds like you're living your best life then. All right, going into the news section of this podcast, uh, there's a few headlines, a few trailers, and a lot of release dates for next year. Um, we do have one article that I want to shout out. This is something that we kind of alluded to uh, last week, and that is is that we finally have an official review up on the site for Star Wars and the Divine Force. We've had Josh and James and me a little bit talk about our experience with Star Wars and the Divine Force and how our impressions were actually surprisingly positive. Granted, our expectations were kind of just low for the series and the game in general, so it's one of those things where we kind of set the bar at a place and it got exceeded. Uh, on the site itself, over on RPGSite.net, um, Scott White was able to put up his review for Star Ocean, The Divine Force, and he th- thought the game had a lot of the same strengths that we did, and I think it did kind of surprise him in a few ways, though he did more very candidly talk about some of the shortcomings that the game had from his point of view. So we do have that up on the site, and I'm not sure if Scott is slated to join us at the end of the year podcast yet or not. Some of those details are still being worked out, but it'll be interesting to hear him uh, in person elucidate on his thoughts on Stars and the Divine Force um, and maybe kind of con- compare and contrast his thoughts with ours uh, in the upcoming month. But we do have that written review up on the site. I think the code was really late for that game, and I know it's been kind of frustrating where sometimes the publisher like hey where's your review guys and it's like you gave us two days <laughs> or whatever um but no scott took his time with the game and kind of gave it his full full attention and put up a really a really thorough review up on the site for that if you wanted to go ahead and give that a listen if you want to hear our impressions of the game uh i believe the last couple of podcasts 275 and 76 uh, i believe the timestamps will have it uh we'll have our um, verbal impressions on the game as well uh, as for main news topics, uh, nothing major here, though we do have one game announcement, though I don't know if anyone here has a lot of look-in for this series, and that is, is that we got a new announcement of a new Sword Art Online RPG, and that is Sword Art Online Last Recollection is coming out next year for basically all PlayStation and Xbox consoles and PC. This is an RPG that takes place during the franchise's Alitization War of the Underworld arc. Yeah, obviously. is anyone here? Yeah, I was gonna say like that was all, uh, you're kind of leading into where I'm leading to. Is anyone here up on Sword Art Online enough to kind of know? Um, I, uh, I know that this is Sword Art Online, but the one thing I understand about Alicization is that it's technically not even like in an actual game; it's all hallucination. No, I stopped following after. It's so uh, okay. Unfortunately, like I, I watched this uh, a series and like know like what the this arc is. It's not really a hallucination. It's it's is very much like a VR simulation. And the and the the best way I can describe it is 
that it is all like to train up an AI named Alice. Um, like the government wants to use it for for militarization purposes, and this all takes place on like an island platform in the middle of the ocean. Um, I don't want to get into it. It's gonna it's a long story. Um, long story short, this is kind of, this is kind of like a follow up of a of a licitization licorice or from like chorus um, or whatever like chorus or two two years ago. Um, so it, it is like during like another new arc, but like with an original protagonist. I did play a little bit of licitization licorice. Um, I didn't complete it, but because I, I got bored of it after like twenty to thirty hours in. Um, but I, I had friends a few months ago that like got really super way into it, so I had got to hear more about like the the more of like the end game stuff of that because they got super into it for some reason. They like really liked the gameplay and thought the story was like garbage, but they really <laughs> liked the gameplay. Um, as far as I understand like, it, um, the, the so like of the Sword Art Online arcs, there's a big arc called Alicization, and it's basically big enough where it's kind of split into like parts. Yes. So like the previous game, which came out a couple of years ago that Josh is talking about, that one was like Alicization like Chris. That, like, that was like the first part. Excuse me. Yeah, that was like that, that was like part uh, one of the War of the and, Underworld. Is like part and War of the Underworld is like the second part. Yeah. So this and, is like the second part. Yeah. I don't want to get into like uh, like the story details of like the, the actual what happens because it's like it's like it's like a lot and it's like it's stupid. The, 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 that's the best way I could like sum it. It's like it's very stupid. The 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 more the more the thing that stings about this news with the last recollection is there was a trademark for last recollection a few months back that I believe Gamatsu um, reported on, and like like you know viewers we speculate maybe it's a new dot hack thing because they named the previous like GU collection. Oh, I didn't even think about last that. Recode. I'm like, oh shit, maybe it's time. Like you know, last recollection would be like a nice subtitle for like whatever, whatever the remaster or maybe potential remake of the uh, I IMOQ the IMOC dot hack. Quadrilogy or tetralogy, um, you know, is. I didn't so even like, think about that. Uh-huh. It, it, it even burns even more, I guess, for dot hack fans because like Sword Art Online is yep. often considered like like a bad <laughs> version of dot hack or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> or like the more modern. Modern. yeah. So it's just like, yeah. So this user just like I saw it. I'm like, I don't like anything anymore. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I I had completely forgot that people thought that last recollection was a dot hack thing until now. Man, that fucking sucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's actually sword art. That's like the worst case scenario. <laughs> it could have been anything else. It would have been, it been like it would have been disappointing. Know. Like, oh, it wasn't hack. It was just something random. Like, no, nope, it wasn't hack, but it was actually sword art. That's like yeah. The if, worst. It was, if it was like Dragon Ball Z last record or One Piece last record, it's like okay, whatever. But no. <laughs> <laughs> Like uh, that Saga, the last recollection of yeah. Oh, it can yeah, that. yeah, there you go. But yeah, so I mean, th- th- this is like your typical, like actual details of this game is like your typical game announcement of an SAO game of like just reintroducing Kirito and this and new girl and new girl. Um, what was new girl's name in this Dorothy. one? Dorothy. Yeah. But they have to worry about dying anymore. Um. Not since the first. No, arc, no, no, think. no. Yeah, not, no, not, not in this one. But there, but there's other stakes uh, in place. So even if you die, so actually, this is this is actually really funny. This this um arc in like I guess the I only watched the anime and you know, uh, this arc is actually really surprisingly brutal in in the show. The way they like, there's actually like fucking people getting fucking sliced and mauled, and like there's like a lot of blood and gore in like some of the fights in this arc. Um. So obviously that's probably not going to be like depicted in the in the game itself, but 
the people are just fucking getting murked and it's like visually very graphic and sometimes very disturbing um but yeah where are the underworld i i remember uh like horus the one thing about that game is that a i think it was meatier than a lot of people expected I, I remember people playing it and think, oh, it took me like 70 hours, 80 hours to beat this. Plus, Bandai Namco like supported it with like tons of DLC uh, for a while. So it's, I, I know we kind of just sat here for a while, just not quite poo pooing on Sword Art Online, but if this is a, if this is a, you know, IP that you're really into, Bandai Namco is on a track record where they'll, they'll probably support this game for a while. So it'll yeah. come out oh, at yeah. some point well, next awesome. year, but. I was just thinking they just got a fuckload of DLC. And then got a port. Yeah, and it got a switch port. Like, yeah, you're you're probably doing well if you if you like that game. I'm, I already started to meme this game to like my friends who uh, played Alicization Licorice a few months back, and they're like, you know, maybe I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> so it's just, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. It's an SAO game. I, it's hard. It's hard for me to be like, yay! It's coming out mm-hmm. and everything at least. Uh, except not except Switch. Switch, not Switch. That'll yeah, come uh, two years later. Yeah, which is what Bandai Namco does now, I guess. So weird. I even I, have you heard like any performance of like what the Switch version no. was of the uh, just the just for like just to be clear when the when Alicization Licorice is coming out, I'm the reviews editor for the site. I'm like, does anyone want to review this? And no one wanted to review it. And then when the Switch version came out, it's like, does anyone want to review this? And no one wanted to review it. So we never reviewed this game. <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> Which is that, valid. Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I even gave that, that, that game a shot and I was like, it's so funny because the, like, the, the first like 15 to 20 hours that I played, you can just skip that part now and, and, and because they added that as a post-launch thing. Because like, the, the first 15 to 20 hours of that game was like reliving like the events of like the first part of Alicization. So like when, you know, Kirito wakes up in the VR world he doesn't have any of his memories so you like you kind of meet like the new characters in that arc and like they train for like uh, a night academy to eventually you know go kill like the administrator of that uh, world um and you can just like skip through that because like that diverges the stories everything that comes after it so it's just you know okay <laughs> and to me that was like that was like the most interesting part because like oh yeah i watched this and i didn't like hate all of it so it was kind of interesting to see just, I don't know. But yeah, I have no idea how the Switch port turned out. The, the the only recent SAO thing that has amused me is there's a I forgot what the Twitter handle is, but the, there's a Twitter account that like is role playing like the events of like of SAO like the the actual like VR MMO coming out as if it was real because like in I guess in real world events time like that MMO launched at like November 2022 in in, huh. in world so. Um. They, so they were like, uh, so you know, they're role playing like, oh man, who's picking up the SAO? I'm so excited for it, <laughs> you know. And and obviously, infamously, you know, the 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 main story setup of that initial arc is like, oh, you're trapped in the game, and if you die in it, you die in real life, etc. So, when did that uh, original light novel come out? Like 2010 or so. Oh, or, original SAO light, light novel. novel. <laughs> That's a dangerous Google search. Yeah, I, I, I don't dare do that. 2009. Like, there you go. Mm-hmm. So they, they, that's where they thought we'd be uh, in 2022. Who's your favorite SAO character, Brian? 
the redhead guy because he's the only one not quite in the harem, but he sticks around. But I don't remember uh, his name. He's still in the harem. There, there is one character I want to say. My friends have a very disgusting nickname for her, but I don't want to say it. I will get trouble. You can't yeah. just like say that and then not say. I, I understand like you probably don't want to say it for like good reason, but you can't just mention that and then not say it. Now, damn it! I don't well, want to know. Chow does have a favorite and has a name for it. <laughs> You'll know who she is. Oh, okay, okay. I, 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 you know what? Uh, sadly, okay. Um, That's actually probably the only good character in this. Yeah, show, to be honest. yeah. Okay, Chow. So he I, mentioned but... in the chat the character name. I'm gonna just say it. Aids. Mm-hmm. There's a character in the game or in the show that has basically an anime illness, which is effectively Aids. But she's actually probably the best character in the show. Just like. The only yeah. good character in the show. <laughs> it's so. also like the, it's also the arc where like Kirito is like not the protagonist of it. But yeah, that's also one reason. Only good time when the show is good. Uh, Kirito's not the main focus. Uh, we know hey, they have these movies in Asna's point of view. If people are still interested in Sao, um, no. <laughs> if uh, you are interested in covering Sao games, just pitch uh, Alexander Donaldson, and maybe you can be on the site because we have tried and it has fallen through the cracks so far. Now, we do have a, the next news article that we have here is about uh, upcoming RPGs being released on Nintendo Switch uh, day and date. And this is going uh, to Nihon Falcom and the Trails slash Yeast series. So I'm going to hand this off over to James. He's the one that wrote up this news article. And I don't quite know exactly what it comprises, but it's about uh, their um, is it CEO Kondo. Is that his title? Yeah, head of Yeah, I, I forget if he's like chairman or CEO, but yeah. talking about future of their IPs and specifically uh, releasing games on Switch, uh, you know, day day and date with the launch of their games, rather than having Clouded Leopard do it for the Asian market or having uh, NIS do it for the um, for the Western markets. So, James, what did this uh, come out from uh, from Japan about the upcoming East Ten about plans to release on Switch? Just uh, there's just there's a lot here, and I want to make sure it gets unpacked correctly. There was a bit of an earnings release, and they had a PDF that just went over some of the stuff that uh, they're planning to do, like in the near future, and also like listing what they still consider to be like important titles that are still selling and whatnot. Um, to be clear, so the- uh, Falcom's fiscal year ends at the end of September. They're kind of opposite from a lot of Japanese companies. So this was basically like, here's how we did in the last fiscal year, and here's what we're doing for the next one. So it's kind of what it came from. Yeah. So the main thing that this comes from is slide number, I think it's slide number 17. And basically it says that um, they are making the next uh, entry in the E-Series for um, PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, and Nintendo Switch. And um, for Nintendo Switch games um, that they're developing internally, they're planning to release um, three titles on Switch by the end of their next fiscal year, which means that East 10 and two other Switch games will be coming from Falcom next year. Since East 10 is coming day and date on switch. It makes sense for me. And again, this isn't confirmed by them or anything, but I feel like a lot of people are kind of reading between the lines that those other two titles are probably going to be Kuro one and two. 
because like even a few months back, uh, I translated uh, Famitsu's um, like interview of him where he said that they were looking into getting Kuro one and two on Switch. So if if they're trying to to target multi platform uh, day and date, and they want to get Kuro three day and date on Switch, it would make sense that they'd want to get one and two on Switch next fiscal year. That way, when Kuro three comes out in twenty twenty four there will be enough of a gap where it's not like oversaturating the market and whatnot. Obviously, remind uh, me, um, like Trails from Zero is now on Switch in the West. Did that ever come out for Switch in Japan? I think that there was a, um, I believe there was a Cloud Leopard uh, okay. Japanese uh, Switch release. Yeah, I just want to also mention, like, obviously, like everything that like uh, the we're talking about, it's like just for the Japanese market for now. Um, yeah, yeah. So for people, I don't want to, people to take it the wrong way. It's like, oh, you mean right here? It's like, no, in Japan, um, or no. So it's a there's a very traditionally and historically very Falcom move. It's like, okay, like the the they they kind of really realize it a bit, maybe a, a bit late that like, oh, the the most popular platform now in Japan is the Switch. It's time to you know kind of boot uh, start these processes of um, getting our uh, games onto Switch, and they've ha- and they've been releasing them, but they haven't really been internally developing them uh, until just recently. Obviously, with the Nayuta, um, Ad Astra, even... yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, th- that released a few months ago over there. Um, so it's obviously a smart move, hopefully, and hopefully, you know, they'll find some success in. You know, it- it's always been weird, right? Like they- they've been. Like for a good amount of years now, they always had like the PlayStation versions come out, and then the Switch version, and then the inevitable PC versions come out like way later. So now they're just trying to like line it up and like, hey, we 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 want like that initial influx of sales um, with the Switch version, especially when they when they're when they um, strategically release their games at the end of September, very reliably. Like the like the the East Ten. Like is most likely ninety percent going to be yeah. going to be released at the end of September because that's just the way they operate and because of that, it lines up nice with their, their fiscal year. Fiscal year, yep. So now remind me, uh, Kuro even, one and two did make their way. Are, the, are those both on PC in Japan? Uh, one is on PC. Two will probably be on PC sometime next year. Are those PC versions actually in Japanese or are they in no, Chinese? They're Korean yeah. and Chinese only. That's okay. why I. That's why I assume that uh, NIS America already has license because otherwise those PC releases would probably have Japanese support because huh. um, the way that Nayuta's worked is that technically NIS America has already released Nayuta on PC, but it's only in Japanese right now. So mm-hmm. it's a very and weird just, situation. Yeah, and it'll be updated middle of next year with the uh, English English tech support. Yeah, so if this is just one of the small steps to try to standardize the Falcon releases so you don't have this weird console platform language staggering. It, I know I, I know it's probably frustrating for the people who cover the news on the site like James, Adam, and Josh. Um, that you always have to keep up to date on, oh, we got a new platform announced for one of these games, or we got, a, we got the Western release date, oh, we got the port release date for this. I bet if you search like East 9 or East 8 on the site release date, you can find like six different news articles as the, that game like filters out and still is happening like when East 9 got its official PS5 release or whatever. Well, what, uh, East it, 9 released on PS4 and then Switch and then 
Well, PS4, then like PC, then yeah, they're all staggered. It's kind of yeah. But saying, it, like, it even comes to the point where East America like copied and pasted uh, Vita as a platform for East Nine, even though it didn't come out on uh, <laughs> on Vita. It'll it'll just be nice to have it come out all at once. Be like it's there, it's right yeah. here, all at once. Hell, even all at once on Japanese and all at once in English, and then maybe a PC report port. That would be less headlines than what it normally is, where it's staggered. To hell and back. <laughs> Where exactly has this game released? Is Zero on Switch, we think so. In Japanese, I think so. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the, 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 the thing to look forward to out of this news is like, hey, we're probably going to get East 10 like first screenshots and maybe a trailer before the end of the year because Malcolm mm. will have their, um, uh, you know, their, their uh, what's it, like their financial? Yeah, they have their meeting. like shareholder meeting shareholder in December. Meeting. So. Yeah. And so, then they've yeah, talked about their ambitions with these 10 and how they, you know, the last three games have been kind of samesies and, you know, got some really good games out of it, especially in my opinion, eight. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see like what the direction East takes into its 10th entry will be. If it's going to look similar, if it'll look significantly different. Yeah, be Sounds like they have engine as well that, that they've yeah. been using for Kuro. So seeing how that will translate, you know, we got, we probably got a small glimpse of it with how Kuro's action combat is, but you know, obviously mm-hmm. East is much more faster paced and much more tuned for it. From um, um, so I haven't gotten back to Kurochi, and I'll probably with all the RPGs coming out, I'm probably gonna have to wait until next year to really dig in. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've heard about how Kuro 2 performs on PS5, I am kind of worried about East 10. I never well, actually th- think about that, like uh, because obviously I was watching my friend play it, so I didn't really think about pro- performance. But well, but have you heard about that? Uh, it has a lot of frame rate dips uh, oh. that um, especially later on, which is a, a shame because I, from what I understand, the PS5 version of Kuro 1 was like a locked 4K60. So it's mm. like, huh. yeah. Well, I'll play the PC version of East 10 when it comes out in uh, 2026. Let's go. <laughs> A couple other minor updates here before we go into trailers and release dates. Here is an announcement that is very, very early, but was uh, spotted on a Korean news site and then picked up by some uh, English-facing sites like Eurogamer. And that is that it looks like PC publisher NCSoft might be partnering with Sony to develop an MMO or an MMO-like game in the Horizon franchise. So like a Horizon Zero Dawn Forbidden West MMO in development potentially this is kind of basically reading between the lines and gleaning uh what ncsoft might have in store ncsoft has published a handful of games mostly like lineage and guild wars 2 um for the western audience and i don't know kind of reporting on it here and i don't know if there's a lot of excitement for a horizon mmo i don't think that's what people want out of horizon (laughs) Uh, a lot of like horizons like Either they like Horizon Story or it's combat, and like, I don't think it's combat would translate transfer to an MMO. And then like, if it's not the story that's in the games, and like, what is it? Is it going to be about the world? I don't think the world is that compelling. Yeah, so that's kind of like you know, if this ever like you know comes to fruition, like I have no idea what the hell this would take because you know I feel like what people like Horizon Four is like in direct opposition to like what an MMO show they like Aloy, be. you know. Yeah, they yeah, they like it being a single player story about just, you know, Aloy and you know what she goes through and then like I don't know if like the world of Horizon is compelling enough to like be a full blown MMO. Like I have no idea what the fuck you would do in it. And by the what way, the you- uh the language in this report is that um 
They have tentatively agreed to pursue a business partnership in which NCSoft will create new games using Sony's game IP. Um, so this is like... All right. Hmm? <laughs> uh, is there anything that indicates that it's Horizon or is it just Sony IP? Uh, I was making see, a I, joke, but they say Sony IP. And I'm like, maybe it's a God of War MMO. I'm joking. He's got oh, MMO. Well, I, I was just trying to, dr- to drill back between like Eurogamer. I think was the f- I think was the first English uh, publication to pick up on this, and then there's MTN is the original Korean uh, news source. Just trying to feed that through a translator. So the, a lot of this is very early, just getting the financial foundation in place for getting the project started. So whatever this ends up being, we are very very far away from it. And I, you know, there's a lot of speculation on what it even is. It could be some other sort of online project for as far as we know. Um, I just realized how broken my brain is um, because, you know, when you mentioned like the is reported by Korean news game uh, site, uh, MTN, I was thinking of like MTN, like my, my first thought was like, that, that's a weird, like abbreviation for machine translation instead of mountain. You know, I thought of machine <laughs> translation first when it's MTN uh, instead of mountain. I'm like, oh, fuck. Coming yeah, so style, so huh? to answer Adam's joke, uh, the MTN uses both. They both specify the IP as Horizon and the game type oh, as okay. MMORPG. So that that's, that's directly from MTN and their sources. So where this exactly came from, like where where MTN is sourcing it from, I'm not 100 percent sure. Maybe more details about specifically where this information is coming from will come to light. Or if you can just dig in, I bet you could find it. Uh, but I guess they're also planning on making Hor- Horizons one of those weird games where we cover it. Forbidden West came out earlier this year, and we we did like I'm like we wrote a review on that, right? And we, I mean, the RPG site uh, that got covered. I played um, it. I mean, they're yeah. good games, but I don't really treat them like. As something that leaves a mark for me, that's how I, I look at them. There's a VR game. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. They're they're coming out with like a PSVR two Horizon game. Oh, I forgot like about that. Hollow the Mountain or something. It's kind of strange how like time works. Where <laughs> there, that sounds like really more deep than I intended. But Horizon came out around the same time as Elden Ring, right? That was the big thing. It's like, Elden Ring doesn't feel like that long ago, but Forbidden West, oh wow, that came out this year? I don't know. Just One of those obviously made a much stronger impression on me than the other thing. I keep forgetting that Forbidden West even exists. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it did suffer the the curse of being 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 Horizon. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. No, it came out right after Elden Ring, which repeated, you know, the right previous Horizon. Ring, right? Yeah, and then Horizon 1 is like right after Breath of the Wild, so it's just like mm-hmm. it just keeps happening. So, uh, we'll follow up on this, I guess, when we get more news, but I'm not expecting that we'll see that anytime soon. It is kind of interesting, though, like, apparently this game will be coming out on Sony consoles and PC, so it does kind of at least push forward, you know, Sony is a multi-platform publisher now in ways that they at least get their games on PC, maybe not day one, but a few years ago that would have been unthinkable and now you can go to steam sometimes and see like their sony publisher sale and go pick up spider-man or god of war so uncharted uh, came out not too long ago yeah so uh, yeah sony just currently we don't talk about sony a lot because they don't release a lot of games in our space and when they do they're like super fringe quote-unquote rpgs like horizon that we end up forgetting about yeah some people actually got got mad at us for saying horizon's an rpg it's like uh but well, wait, I mean, wait, it, there are people that that were mad at us for not covering God's War. As that's well. true. 
Man. There's a time. I mean, behind the scenes, there like the first like uh, the God of War reboot 2018. There was a there was a time where like maybe we should go cover that. Like I don't know. You don't know. You know people. I remember back then people asked us where where's your review for God of War, and we're like, it's uh, like it's a good question. <laughs> where is? <it? laughs> damned oh if God. you do, damned if you don't. I mean, like I know, obviously exactly. the the Sony of 15 20 years ago had like Legend of Dragoon and Dark Cloud Dark and things Cloud. like that. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of those IPs waiting in the wings that we would love to cover. Uh, but if, until that happens, we've got, uh, we've, I guess we've got Horizon. And then the, uh, the last uh, piece of news is that if the, in case the release schedule wasn't hectic enough, uh, in this last week, we got the PC release of Valkyrie Elysium, which I, my voice just cracked there. I'm sorry. Um, but like that's, that's just another game where it's like, oh, yeah, I want to get to that eventually. But when am I going to have time? I was waiting for the PC release, and now here it is. Um, but alongside the PC release, we also got the first major like content update for the game, which is the uh, Hilda's Vengeance gameplay route where you play as the other Valkyrie and then the Seraphic Gate like challenge mode, which are included in the PC version by default and are add-ons for the um for the existing PlayStation version of the game. I love how I you believe... said first major update when we don't know if we'll get any more updates beyond this. That's a good point, yeah. I guess I'm so used to speaking in that language now where games are just iterated on after they release that you just kind of assume that yeah. there's going to be... Not assume, but you end up catching yourself speaking in that way where it's like, oh, they might come out with more stuff for this game and staple it on. I don't know. But uh, I think we're still at the point where I, I believe Josh is still the only person that's played uh, Valkyrie Elysium. And obviously we got the... Um, back in September when it released, uh, him his thoughts on that game. Uh, maybe maybe I'll find once again once I once I find time to maybe check out the new content in that game because I I think mm-hmm. it's fun enough to revisit. Um, it's time to stop covering the Square Enix titles, remember. <laughs> All right, into like some of the smaller news. We got a handful of trailers here to talk about. Um, this first one here is kind of one we were expecting. We talked in the last two weeks about these Square Enix deep dive trailers for Forspoken, which is coming out next January. Uh, this is basically gameplay focused trailers where they go into just the systems of the games and basically answering the question, what do you do in this game? The first one was about traversal and the second one was mostly about combat. This third trailer, for, uh, this third deep dive for Forspoken is called Exploring Athia and it's just basically... Um, Adam kind of put it this way. It's saying, yeah, this is an open world game. It talks about some of the things that you can find on the map, some of the challenges you can do, the labyrinths that you can kind of go. The, the, um, there's like there's like skill um, challenges that improve your abilities. And ta- it talks about like shops and other things. It basically just answers the question, when you're not fighting and when you're not uh, traversing the map, what do you do uh, in this riding game? Riding on rails, exploring open zones. And looking for a cat. Looking what? Looking for a cat. Oh yeah, they, yeah. There's some sort of creature uh, uh, aspect as well, and I don't know. Like, it talks about photo mode. It talks about these labyrinths. It talks about these skill trees and how you improve your abilities. There's like these challenges that you can access from the map to basically uh, just level up and improve your abilities. It's one of those things where I don't think any individual component here sounds inherently like, oh wow, that's a that, that's a marquee you know aspect of the game right there but it does seem like i I'm, I'm being charitable here it does just it seems like there's plenty to do like i i can see playing this game and at least if they're presenting it faithfully that i, I won't be bored it's, it sounds like that they've gotten plenty of plenty of ways to incorporate the gameplay and uh, progression systems and it's got enough going on here it's probably the weakest of the deep dives i think 
but it probably has also just the least interesting subject matter to cover. It's like all the little tertiary stuff in between the story and the combat, all the other things you can do uh, in the game, puzzles and yeah, things so, like that. So there's like challenges where it's like literally, I assume there's going to be like traversal races and then, mm-hmm. you know, like combat challenges and finding these little cat things, I guess. You have to chase them and collect them, what the sound sounds like. So... Uh, it's, there is one. There is one shot of this trailer where it shows like the world map and it has like icons out on it. And I, I don't know. I have like an instinctive like reflex, just like oh, icons on the map. I don't know. It's open world game for sure. Just yeah, world map PTSD. But it seems like it seems I don't know feature filled. It seems like there's plenty to do. Uh, we also got a new trailer for um, the upcoming One Piece Odyssey. And probably not a surprise, after they talked about the uh, the memory sequence where you go back into the Alabasta arc and relive those events, not surprised that it seems like there'll be more than more than just that in this game. We've got a new trailer showing the Water 7 arc of One Piece Odyssey. So yeah, while One Piece Odyssey was originally marketed and is still claimed to be primarily a standalone, basically non-canon, quote-unquote, experience, it's playing, it's, you know, for fans of the IP... It's still incorporating in their in this memory sequence way the some of the early arcs from the show, and we we had the Alabaster arc last month, and this month we got a new trailer for the Water Seven uh, Water Seven arc. This game has lost me with all these things. Mm. Uh, I I don't know. I don't even know what a Water Seven is. Uh, the, when I think of Water Seven, I think of like seven glasses of water in front of me. Adam, you're you're the One Piece expert. What is Water Seven? Basically, just. There are arcs in between Alabasta and Water 7, but those are, like, bigger ones. So it's, like, they're just picking, like, the bigger popular, like, parts of the, sh- the show or the manga to basically revisit the place. Like now, Water, se- Water 7 is the big, uh, you are our Nakama one, right? The what? Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> with, uh, with Robin. Yeah. Uh, and that they say, like, you can't translate that. In English, it's impossible. Uh, why did they just like stick with the island and cool do show cool island stuff and be like, yeah, I understand about <laughs> going around an island, getting your power back. I, I, I kind of uh, said this when they when they did the Alabasta thing, where it's just like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too, which I don't think is. I'm not disparaging them for that. It's like we want to tell a one piece story. We don't want to have the baggage of like, oh, only for people who know what this is. But at the same time, we want to like have the nostalgia bait. Like you remember. Uh, Water Seven, right? You you remember Alabasta? You remember Enos Lobby? Or I don't like. I think that's where I dropped off the show. Maybe maybe instead it. of reading or watching the show, maybe I, I should just consume it like this. Be like, ah, yeah, I, exactly. You know, Water Seven. I, I got I got oh, introduced to this uh, with the Odyssey. On this now. Well, Bond and Amco Europe actually has put, like posts like things on their blog about like here's everything you need to know about Alabasta, and here's everything you need to know about Water Seven, so you can read. Oh, like, their yeah, you have you got homework. Yeah, do your homework, Josh. Or who who we making review this? Didn't we decide that Chow Josh. had to review this? Oh, Josh, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not Josh. Yeah, you know me. Um, uh, uh, that's uh, that's how I would, uh, open up my open, uh, One Piece. He's like, yeah, you know me, biggest One Piece fan <laughs> on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, lo- love the character, uh, the Nico. Mm. Nico's my favorite <laughs> character. Yep. I, I love the main character, Monkey. He's my favorite yep. dude. <laughs> yep. I just I, like if you can put like monkey emojis in in, in the the CMS, I would do that. But yep. Uh, so, in case you forgot, this is probably one of the earliest RPGs releasing next year. It's in early January, coming out on the thirteenth. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, two very small trailers here. Uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, obviously, coming out next week. Uh, we got a, another one of these little quick one-minute um, Pokemon introductions. And this is for Gimme Ghoul, which is basically like a treasure mimic Pokemon. Uh, the most interesting thing about this is that it kind of like got data mined out of Pokemon Go before it actually got officially announced. Okay. So people got, you know, they got to look in ahead of time, you know, a day or so before the Pokemon YouTube channel uploaded the actual trailer for it. I think that's really the most important thing here. He's like a little bug guy with a coin on his back that lives in a uh, treasure. One place. might say that that that, that uh, pe- people have been getting better looks into the game before. It's yeah, yeah, it's the out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you want to, if you want to know what's coming out in Scarlet and Violet, uh, you 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 know where to find it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, just do- log into the internet and you will see mm-hmm. it. And then we also got a uh, another gameplay trailer for the upcoming Disgaea Seven. Uh, still no official announcement of an English localization, and this trailer is pretty long. It's like six and a half minutes showcasing. This a bit trailer of is basically just the trailer version of of the of the written image and text version that they released like last week. Like here's all the characters and some of the story and some of the classes and everything. The new then mode where you turn into a giant kaiju. Basically, it's that in trailer form. Mm-hmm. So we have that up on the site and coming out also in January in Japanese. We don't know about the English release. Uh, Nothing's been announced formally just yet on that. All right. We have a couple uh, of headlines here that are like sales or business focused. Uh, The more straightforward one is that we got we just got um, Nintendo quarterly results for some of their uh, sales updates. That's where Adam got the uh, 8 million number for Splatoon, I believe. And it's the fastest, fastest selling game in that series. Uh, And on the RPG front, the most interesting thing here is that obviously their big RPG of the year, Xenoblade Chronicles 3. We got a milestone that it has shipped. 1.72 million units and to put that in context xenoblade chronicles 2 in the first few months of sale sold 1.31 so basically this game sold just about half a million more in roughly the same amount of time which obviously for actually uh time if you really count Mm -hmm. it i think that comparison i made it's like xenoblade 3 had like nine weeks and xenoblade 2 had like 17 weeks So. So, so basically in a shorter period of time, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 still sold more, 400,000 more units than Xenoblade right. Chronicles 2, which previously had been kind of like the high watermark. Uh, the Definitive Edition sold about the same as Xenoblade Chronicles 2, a little less. Long story short, this is looking really promising for Xenoblade Chronicles 3. It's got a lot of momentum. It's selling more with each entry. Uh, so just just good to see that the, that the game has seemingly done well. Yeah, so every good. year in Japan, there's a there's like an organization called CISA, which is like Consumer Electronics something something. It's CESA, and they release what they call like a white paper, and they they basically sh- reveal like shipments for various companies, and Nintendo's one of them. And based on that, which they released last year, Xenoblade Two, its lifetime sales are like two point four million, I believe. Um, so if we're looking at like will Xenoblade two outsell Xen- or will Xenoblade three outsell Xenoblade two eventually, it's like well it's more than halfway there. You know we'll see what sort of legs it has. But yeah, I but believe- it's also that like you know taking into account as well like there's still the holiday season sales and yeah, right. for that, and then also the big uh, tournament style DLC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. About it also, I, th- I think it 
And it's also the consideration to make that Xenoblade 2 came out five years ago, like when the yeah. Switch install base was a lot smaller. And like, I know some people are like, well, I actually expected it to be even more than that. Well, we'll see. They released like, at very different times also. Yeah. Xenoblade 2 released in December. This released in July. So that probably affects it a bit. So... And also, it's, it's, it's tough. Like, you, like the the ongoing story with like any sequel is like the, the more sequels you have, the, the less it'll sell as more sequels. You know, each subsequent uh, sequel. Yeah, sequels uh, usually do worse than the original. Like, no matter what, because yeah. usually it's because people didn't they bought the original and they didn't like it, or they just didn't finish it. Um, and I know Xenoblade is a little bit different because the original was on a different platform and then it got like re released twice. So right. It's kind of mm-hmm. a little tricky. It like you know, the, the the word of mouth of Xenoblade Chronicles three one was good, and two, like I think uh, there were quite a lot of newcomers to Xenoblade Chronicles three as like as their first Xenoblade. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, and, and the game is still fine, like you know, for for a person who hasn't played previous. Yeah, it helps Xenoblade. that it's a sequel, but it's also like only loosely connected. Like it is definitely connected, but it's not like the same characters. Like that, you don't know anything about them because yeah. it's a new cast and all that. Mm-hmm. So, but, I think uh, just this probably help this this trilogy in general. I think does a really good job of you can earnestly say people can jump in at Xenoblade one, two, or three, but at the same time, there is a lot for fans to pick up on between the games as well. I don't know. They found. I just think that the monolith has found a really good balance of getting keeping the games tethered together, but not not feeling like people are like, "Well, I can't jump into three. I've not played one or two. It's like, no, you you can jump into three. It's really good." <laughs> yeah. And then the the it's kind of interesting that that's our headline, but the second bullet. I just think that this is just the power of Pokemon. Uh, we obviously a game that released in January this year, Pokemon Legends Arceus. Um, in the last quarter, since April of 2022, it has sold another 1.3 million units, and now its total is just a shy under 14 million. And I just kind of enjoy how that is our second bullet, and it's an order of magnitude more than Xenoblade. Uh, it sold nearly as much in the same window, 1.3 million, uh, and that's just well, that's just Pokemon. To be clear, <laughs> be clear, um, that 1.3 million is from last April, so that's like within six right. Months. And Xenoblade, and then yeah, Xenoblade was only since July because that's when it released. But just just the fact that we're talking 14 million for Pokemon, and can Xenoblade three reach two million? Just just the just like the the scales of between you know the different IPs. And, and also, if, if anything, it, it shows uh, the strength of the of like the new direction of Arceus. Arceus is very 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 different from any other Pokemon for it. So mm-hmm. them largely coming out ahead still with that just shows you know that they can they can ex- they can they can get away with some experimentation not totally tank. Also, just in this uh, fiscal year, which started in April, just Breath of the Wild sold like another. I don't have it in front of me, but like more than a million, just just another c- cool million on top of the twenty six million it already has. No big deal. Yeah, I don't saw a lot more before Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, is about to release as well, or when it comes mm-hmm. out next year as well. So that'll just keep on rising as well. I don't know how it does it though. <laughs> like I was, I was like thinking, like man, was all, there's still a lot of people just like just decided just to pick it up. Huh? All right. And our next uh, financial headline is going back to uh, Square Enix. They also gave some of their financial results and plans um, for the next fiscal fiscal year. 
and I'm going to hand this off to Adam because uh, this to go through this data required, uh, I guess, a little bit of just digging and compartmentalizing all the different things that they talked about here. So some of it is talking about their just uh, income for the year and also their plans for, unfortunately, NFT and blockchain uh, aspirations and things like that. So there's a lot packed into this article that you and Alex put up, Adam. I don't know, like just like similar to the uh, Falcom news from earlier. I just don't know, like the best way to unpack what you and Alex dug through here. Uh, okay, so this is another quarterly report. A lot of those for the, this is for the quarter ending in September. And um, Square Enix's last quarterly report, which is the what ended in June, um, they didn't really say a lot except that sales were way down. Um, for, the, for the last several Square Enix reports, the, the broad picture has been the sales of our games are down Except for Final Fantasy fourteen, that's doing okay. That's actually helping. That's actually like keeping <laughs> us afloat in a way. Probably not that dramatic, but Final Fantasy fourteen is doing totally fine, more than fine. But um, this one, this quarterly report, it's uh, they also say that their sales are down of their games, and that this is games as of that release before September. So that's like Live Alive and Dio Field, and that only counts Live Alive, I think, in Japan because it was Nintendo published in the West. That's always weird. Um, so nothing to do with like Harvestella or Star Ocean or any of that yet. Cause that's, you know, that's going to be the next quarter, recent, but they yeah. also, they also put in a, so they also have their medium term plan. A lot of companies have what they call medium term plans or something close to that, which is basically like, not just talking about this fiscal year, but the next couple of fiscal years, what are we like, what are our goals? And there a lot of companies like chunk this into like three year chunks. And Square Enix offered an update on their current medium-term plan, and they basically have two priorities. One is just kind of strengthen our IP, strengthen our IP is what they say. So that can mean a lot of different things, but you know, probably involves like focusing on like Valkyrie and Star Ocean, and like let's bring back these IP that pe- that we have and people like, and that's probably that's kind of like one of their focuses um, for their medium-term plan. And, but to be honest, it is a little bit vague what exactly strengthen our IP means. But then the second plan or the second point, it's like explore new avenues or something like that is the wording they use. But what they really mean is blockchain. And on this report, they have like six slides just talking about all the different blockchain investments they've made. Uh, also cloud. Um, cloud. The cloud stuff is funny because I feel like Square Enix is invested in like nine different cloud platforms. But... They uh, basically cloud talk- gaming, not cloud strife. The tag correct cloud gaming. <laughs> uh, did anyone remember like Shinra Tech or whatever they named it after Shinra? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, and then a few others. There was a few others that they had too that they launched and then shut down immediately for cloud stuff. But yeah, they they talk about like we've already invested in these two uh, blockchain techno you know groups tech groups and then like we've now invested into three more and they have a lot of verbiage on just like we're investing into it we're interested in it and blah 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 blah. and it seems to be a really big big focus for them um in the piece that alex and i put up everyone probably remembers the new year's letter from this mm-hmm. um, i was know, just thinking of that several months or several months ago where it was literally like the second sentence in the uh in the letter it was like they're like, they're like i hope you buddy God, yeah. Blockchain is, is blah, 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 or whatever Fuck. it was. Um, I tried to forget. <laughs> and then also, so Square Enix, a lot of companies around this time, they also put out like the annual report, or sometimes they call it like the integral report of the like the previous year. And Square Enix did that also. And in this big report, which is 
kind of separate from the financials. They also have a big section on blockchain, and they quite literally say, let me pull up the quote here, um, what they say about the blockchain. Uh, so this is from the annual report. They say, we have identified AI, the cloud, and blockchain as focus investment areas under our medium-term earnings target and business strategy. This is the, and this is the key quote right here. At present, we are positioning the blockchain domain as our most important focus and approaching our investment in business development initiatives accordingly. It's their most important focus is blockchain. They literally say that verbatim oh. right there. It's and like so, one of those things where, like, if a if a if a you know a, a publisher as big as Square Enix wanted to keep feelers out and just make sure they're staying up to date with you know the tech and having their investments in place, like, sure, but they're they're just going, they're just diving into the deep end. They're just like, yep, this is our future for for this moment. This is it. Oh, uh, they've been keeping up. They know it crashes hard, so maybe they should learn what it really means. No fucking thanks. I forgot. I forgot. Was this before this report? Before or after the unveil of the symbiogenesis? Was? It was. I think the report was like just before it. It was mm. roughly at the same time. But yeah, I don't think we've actually talked about this on the right. podcast yet. And we do mention this in the article. So there was a, a trademark for symbiogenesis, which now that I now that I played Parasite Eve, I talked about it a couple podcasts ago. I know, hey, that's a Parasite Eve thing, and obviously people's you know speculations went into overdrive. Like, what is, oh, they're, they're going to shrink their IP. They're they're gonna they're gonna Parasite Eve. That, yeah, they just exactly. said they're gonna do that. And I saw some people wondering, like, maybe this is just like for like a mobile thing or like a costume in some other game or just some reference somewhere or you know maybe an Maybe like a, maybe even merch or something like people's expectations are already sort of low. I know some people had like massive expectations, but I think some people were. I think most people were being reasonable. Like it's just going to be a small thing. It's not going to be like a remake or whatever. And then even those low expectations were not met because it's like actually it is an NFT thing. So and I know blockchain is more than just NFTs, but still like. That's what it was, and that's what they're, where they're going. Um, does um, anyone remember that Million Offer video game? That's like a, oh yeah, yeah Million Offer was their first NFT project, and apparently yeah, those apparently NFTs all the coins sold, out. Are sold out. Yeah, so yeah. I'm just gonna say it's like okay, look, we tried making video games, and look at Deal sales and Neo sales. They're like less than like ten thousand. Are you gonna are you telling me we're gonna turn Deal Field and World Ends with You into NFTs? Just, and then they're, they're like, oh, but look at our NFTs. They all sold out, but these games sold like garbage. And oh. they said we tried. <laughs> we didn't make anything, so it's so like you're saying, so you're saying Star Ocean, Valkyrie, Tarvistella, um, their their futures NFTs. Sadly, they're that's okay. they're probably looking at because you know sales are what really speaks to investors. Really, they don't care about it's like what's integrity or not. All they care about is profit. Well, yeah, if, if their NFTs Thanks, are selling out, their games are underperforming. Dreams. Yeah. <laughs> Child of the good news here. Everything you love and hold dear, they're NFTs now. They're blockchain. <laughs> don't buy them. Also, um, there's another blockchain company in Singapore that this was like back in September that they announced a partnership with Square Enix. This is a little bit confusing because for some reason Square Enix doesn't mention this in their report. Um, but according to this blockchain company, which is called like Oasis, uh, they had a quote from Yosuke Saito, who is usually known as like the producer of the near series and a few other things he's a square enix producer um and the producer but, of babylon's fall guys yeah but he i think he's also the, the babylon's fall producer too you know he's just like a producer that's his job but also in this 
press release from this blockchain company, they labeled Yosuke Saito as director, Square Enix Blockchain Entertainment Division. Like, I guess that's another one of his titles now. They actually have a blockchain entertainment division, again, according to this blockchain company. But it's like, they're, it seems like we have plenty of evidence to show that Square Enix is, they're not just, you know, like Brian said, they're not just, you know, keeping the door open or like, let's just keep an eye on it. They're like, we're diving in. So. I mean, that it, it definitely like sucks to hear. But then you see like the numbers under a financial report of like everything, like pretty much being done except FF14. It's like, you can kind of see why they were pivoting in this direction as well. It's like, I don't know. What, what, what else are you going to do? You know, if, if, you're, if, you're, if your main goal is to like, Try to keep the numbers up and up and up. It'll be interesting to see the next financial report for next quarter, which will come out early next year, because that'll include like Star Ocean, Harvestella, Tactics Ogre. Like, are your is this sort of strategy of releasing all, all these mid tier or like mid budget games? Is it working at all? We will see. It probably yeah, was, wasn't there like a context? It, you know. Wasn't there like some context here where they talked about how their revenue was up, but they didn't? They kind of oh, like hit, they hid the fact that oh, that that was primarily due to exchange rates rather yeah, than just performance. So Square Enix's rev or profits are up right now, but that is due to basically three things. One, the weakness of the yen is actually a good thing when a lot of their business is done outside it without the yen. Um, so that actually, it's called a foreign exchange gain. I'm not going to claim I may be an expert at this, but in a company in Square Enix position, that's actually a good thing. They have like, they're getting a lot of foreign exchange gains due to the weakness of the yen. Two, when they sold off Eidos and Crystal Dynamics, they're getting a lot of profit from those shares being sold. So again, I'm not like a finance expert, but that's a big chunk of their profits. They call it like profits attributed to parent company. Like it's not sales revenue, it's just profits from selling those. And then three is yes final fantasy 14 is contributing to that but i don't think that's the main factor um they actually but of course, but like of course two years like... ago square enix like two years ago they actually stopped reporting like how much income they make uh from like directly from like hd games they they combined it all into one where hd games uh mobile games and mmo they kind of report that all as one income and the reason why they did that is because when they were separate, you could see, oh, our MMO income is good, but our HD, in- HD games income is actually oftentimes not an income at all. It's actually costing us money. Um, so they literally just kind of, they're using their MMO and mobile game revenues to almost mask their HD games are not doing well. Uh, so they kind of just combine them all in one. Does that make sense? It's hard to yeah. show. Yeah, I was, was, yeah. was going to say, like, they're not, they're not being deceitful, but they're kind of, they're, Taking the opportunity to frame it as charitably as they can, we're like, "Yeah, our profits are up, and Final Fantasy XIV is doing well. We're doing, we're in a good space." But then, you to be clear, it is a very like, common tactic in fi- when you're reporting financials. By the way, it's just yeah, like, yeah, you, you, this is the kind of like you you do you kind of manipulate information. Not you don't like you don't like falsely false. report it. <laughs> you don't you don't falsely report it, but you're controlling information to make it like look presentable and like everything is good. <laughs> as someone who spends a fair amount of time looking at these reports, Square Enix, when they release like their really big games, like Spy Con Fantasy VII Remake, their HD game section d- does pretty good. But the thing is that they can't release that every year. It's all the other stuff in between those releases that just do not, aren't doing well for them. Mm-hmm. So, 
Well, Adam, I do want to say just thank you for like really giving us a good detail of what came out of the uh, the quarterly report and the yearly report, and even like adding the information from like the report from the other blockchain company that has reported that they're working with Square Enix and things like that. You did a, just a good job detailing that all out and laying it laying it out for us. And then the uh, the last uh, kind of footnote of uh, Square Enix news here is that uh, apparently a new PlayStation ad for the upcoming Final Fantasy 16 has revealed that the exclusivity period for Final Fantasy 16 is six months. But I don't really know, like, like those those exclusivity periods can be extended. We've kind of seen that before with Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, or they can just kind of end... We have things like Neo The World Ends With You, where we end up getting it, like, on other platforms almost, like, randomly, where it just showed up on Steam or it showed up on Epic uh, a few weeks late compared to the console release of that game. Uh, and then apparently uh, Forspoken is ps5 exclusive on consoles for two years it's this is the sort of the main headline here isn't specifically what the exclusivity period for final Fantasy 16 is or for for spoken is it's just the same adage that we've said a few times on this podcast is that for square enix it's just almost random it's not random there's because there's a business decision behind each but for spoken we know is coming out on pc day one Final Fantasy 16, there has been evidence in some of the trailers that the game runs on PC and will release on PC. We just don't know when. Um, and then I, we have other think, games that just I don't released. think Final Fantasy 16 has been officially announced for PC at all. It it's one of those things that we so, kind of assume. But. Yeah, so uh, Alex, this is what Alex put in the news post here. The initial reveal trailer had disclaimer text saying that it was running on a PC and also use the phrasing PlayStation console exclusive and also available on PC. But then the trailer was uploaded separately that nixed the disclaimer. Um, so it's it's just people reading between the lines. And with Square Enix, like you can't even point to history and say like, well, this is what they'll probably do because it depends on what game you're looking at. Like Valkyrie Elysium had a weird like three month delay. And then other games like Tactics Ogre Reborn shows up on day one. And I know that's just a remaster, but uh, one of the people days, who are really... Uh... One of these days, just uh, Stranger of Paradise is just going to randomly show up on Steam. Like here it is, and we're still it's waiting. Show up on Hearts. Steam. It's 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 going to sell like less than a thousand copies with no marketing, <laughs> and people are like, oh, what what is what is going on? Like I don't know. But yeah, for people that are really into like the console, you know, champion championing, it looks like you know Final Fantasy 16 is going to be exclusive to PS5. And hey, that, I mean, I bought a PS5 to play the Yuffie DLC, so I am not a um <laughs> for, for remake, so I'm not above that. But that looks like for Final Fantasy 16, uh, Square Enix is getting the business deals they want for, with uh, partnering with Sony and then partnering potentially with Epic later and, you know, double and triple dipping. So it uh, seemed to work for remakes. I'm not surprised that they're potentially doing the same thing here, but we won't really know until until it releases and we see exactly what their plan is. Yeah, I, I guess yeah. As a, I guess as a follow up to that, I, I, I think they were also saying that um, I guess Yoshida was giving interviews and he was uh, said that I guess they're uh, announcing the release. I think I think this was last week, right? They he said that they're going to announce the release date before the end of the year. I think that was last. Yeah, week. yeah, that was the headline last week. Is that right. within the next month or so we will have? Right now we just have for Final Fantasy sixteen the summer window, right? And but we'll and have a date. Drip, there's like weirdly drip feeding FF sixteen news, like. <laughs> <laughs> Always well, we got that big. We got that big uh, trailer like a month ago, and now it's just kind of this drip feed. Yeah. All right. Uh, to kind of wrap out, we still kind of have uh, a bunch of headlines here, but most of these are uh, just upcoming release dates for mostly smaller games. A lot of these kind of came out of the Nintendo Indie World report uh, that just 
was shown, I think, in the last week, uh, and a few other orders from directly from the publisher. Uh, so I believe I've got these listed in chronological order. Luckily, these are all December or later, so these aren't anything that we have to immediately throw on our calendar for this year, but uh, some of these are still coming out pretty darn soon. Uh, Chained Echoes, this is a classic-inspired JRPG that was originally on Kickstarter, I believe, in 2019. Uh, Chained Echoes will be releasing on December 8th for consoles and PC. This is being uh, now published by Deck 13. We, uh, from the Nintendo Indie World report, we got a release month for Sports Story. It'll be releasing in December. I'm surprised that that's next month, but they haven't quite landed on a more specific date than that. This was originally supposed to release in 2020, uh, but I just, you know, pandemic and just... Uh, that one, this one had like a delays. weird delay where it was in you know, like an Indie World in 2019, and then they said it was coming out in 2020. And I think they literally said, like, on the either the, the, the not like really an, an announcement, but the developer was just like, hey, we have to delay this. So sorry, it'll just be a while. And then it just kind of disappeared. Uh, and I know people liked Golf Story, which is this is a sequel to. And it kind of just disappeared for a while. And then finally, now it's back it's coming out next month. We don't have a day. But yeah, they just said a weird uh, the World Showcase. There. They said arriving in December for Sports mm-hmm. Story. Uh, the English release of Neptunia Sisters vs. Sisters is launching on January 24th, which, you know, yeah. good thing good, good thing, nothing else is re- re- releasing in those early months. I believe uh, this yeah. is actually a slightly notable thing about this release date is that the PlayStation and Steam versions are releasing at the same time. Yeah, that is not... Uh, I think Neptunia, a lot of Neptunia games, it's like PlayStation first and then Steam's like a month later. <laughs> So, same time. Hey, one, one less one less headline for you to write. Correct. Or for, for for anyone doing the news on the site to write. The Tudia fans are very happy. Mm-hmm. Here's a big one. Another February release. Uh, that's for Tales of Symphonia Remastered is launching on February 17th. Good thing nothing else is launching in February. Uh, so Tales of Symphonia Remastered. I'm not sure we have a lot of genuine interest in this based on everything that we've learned about it since the um the announcement of that uh it's th- this release date announcement was accompanied with like a, a little like q a from the production team and it's just kind of interesting because they're using a lot of the same like marketing that the collection uh what's the hd collection called is chronicles. it just called collection chronicles that's the word or they're talking about like it has yeah the, the mystic arts that were originally exclusive to the ps2 release and you know things like that and costumes and stuff and it's like well but but that's not new new that's just like that's where we, I don't know. It's basically um, the Steam version or the Chronicles version. Again, maybe like a slightly different like visual look. They like change the colors a little bit. Yeah, like contrast pretty much a bit different. That. Yeah. The, the, the Q&A is actually really funny. Uh, I'm just skimming it right now. <laughs> like they had uh, things like, will the game run in 60 FPS? Is this consistent for all platforms? And they're like, it is based on the Steam version that was running at 30 FPS. So, but however... This version has been optimized so fans can look more to a more stable performance as they play the game. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> just say no. We actually had a comment on our Twitter that said, that Q&A is a lot of words for them just to say, this is the Steam version. Yeah. Well, and uh, some, well, some of these questions are like, is the original English cast in this game? It's like, yeah, you think we redubbed it? <laughs> I don't know. Like, Not yeah. only does it offer Japanese, but it offers the English VO from the original release. It's like, oh, 
I didn't realize that was in question, but thanks for clarifying. Uh, does this include I, Dawn of the New World? It's like, no, no, no. They actually say, does it include Dawn uh, of a New World? Oh. Which is actually, like, not the title, technically, yeah, if you want to be picky. Because it's, <laughs> it's Dawn of the New World. Like, they, they, they got the title wrong in their Q&A. Nice. And it does, the answer is no, it doesn't. So... Which is still weird. Okay. Yeah, like that. That that Why? version is still the, the last release of Dawn of the New World is still like that PS3 version that was bundled. Yeah, it never came to Steam, and it's not coming to these platforms either. Yeah, it's like what the fuck. This this is this is basically what Josh said in a nutshell. Why is there not a PC version of Tales of Symphonia remastered? Tales of Symphonia is already available for your purchase on PC via Steam, <laughs> which comes complete with all the in-game content found in Tales of Symphonia remastered. Our goal is to bring this nostalgic RPG back to modern platforms. Uh, so we, we've been t- we've been taking the piss on this. It's unfortunate that this remastered is it's it's a port to modern consoles. But I still think Symphonia is a good game, and nostalgia is clouding my judgment because it was the first Tales game I played because I was a normie that played it on GameCube when Nintendo did their big publishing push for it back in you know the early two thousands. So, hey, but the I GameCube do version like is the only version that is sixty frames per second. Jesus yep. Christ, dude. Little, or I mean, you, you you can mod the PC version. <laughs> it has apparently a really <laughs> funny animation bugs if you try, uh, where they yeah, end up like, but, like wave dashing or like moonwalking because they don't know like what to do with all the extra information. It's, it's, the I will give them credit. Like I didn't know it was like it, it was it was um, possible for me to like get like more disappointed like Symphonia like re releases and then and they, they 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 revealed this version in detail that it's like well I'm somehow even more disappointed <laughs> at a future re release of Symphonia again. <laughs> like Jesus Christ dude what the fuck Yeah Symphonia is a good game but I when we learned that they were gonna remaster another Tales project like all the other games they could have picked we we back in like august when we were thinking oh maybe let's do a Zilla double pack nope it is it is a good game uh, marred by like every re-release attempt through this game has been not as good as the original release of the game yeah there's it's somehow, a good game where, where you have like footnote caveats that's so that's so and, crazy and, like, like i can't and the opportunity of, like, cost of what we could have had instead all right, for a few more release dates, um, Void Terrarium 2 will also be releasing in English in February. It will launch on February 28th for Switch and PS4. I'm interested in this, but like not at that date. <laughs> so because because that's, that's like, going to be like Doctor shortly Path after two, uh, Fire Emblem yeah. Engage, was it? Or well, Fire Emblem's January, January. Though, but still, yeah. like Octopath is right around then, and I think uh, Wo Long is like the week after, and. Mm. <laughs> wild wild hearts is like around there. Packed. It's already bad, Chow. Okay, I mean it's not, it's not like there's new news. It's it's bad right now. It's going to be bad in December. It's going to be continues. It continues to be bad until like maybe April next year. I, I can't believe I'm mm. ditching Fire Emblem for Alia Rise of Free. Dang. Well, I no, I can't. I can't be sold right. on Two Face yet. Wow. I mean, uh, uh, I'll I'll say this: all the little snippets of gameplay they showed for Fire Emblem Engage so far, at least like the map design seems to look a little bit better than Three Houses. Mm-hmm. So these are a couple of release windows that are a little bit further out. Um, WrestleQuest, which is a game that we've talked about previously and what uh, on this podcast, and also showed up at the Nintendo Indie World Showcase, will be releasing next May. And the Indie World Showcase also had a uh, a new trailer for that, of course. 
Another thing that showed up in the Indie World Showcase was the monochromatic uh, RPG World of Horror. It will also be releasing in summer, summer of 2023. Uh, it showed up at the Nintendo Showcase, but it's also going to be launching on PlayStation 4 and 5 and PC as well. It's actually one I, re- I really want to check out, but I'm just waiting for like a full 1.0 release because I know it's been an early access for like a mini eternity now. Mm. So yeah, it'll be leaving early access in the summer of next year alongside launching on the uh, PlayStation and Nintendo consoles. And then the last bit of news here, this is a little bit of, of a footnote, but just another game that has been constantly being updated over the last couple of months since its release, uh, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. Uh, James has been jumping in and basically keeping us up to date as they go through the title updates for that uh, expansion for Monster Hunter Rise. There will be a digital event this week detailing uh, update three. So don't really know exactly what it will showcase, um, but they're having a, a streaming event uh, next, what is that, Wednesday? Next Wednesday or so uh, for that. That's another game that kind of released this year that like I played Sunbreak, never got back to it after all the uh, post-game DLC, but it sounds like I'll have plenty to dive into once I find the yeah, find the time uh, to do it. Yeah, I I'm kind of on the same boat too. Like I beat the I beat it like the the base launch of it and then I just never went back to the title updates. Um mm. at this point maybe never will. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yes. Yeah. So at some point you got to admit defeat and be like, "All right, something's got to come <laughs> off the plate." Still, I really enjoyed my time with Sunbreak. Just other stuff released, which basically yeah. all all boils down to. And that covers us uh, for news this week. So, really, kind of a jam packed week. We got the two big releases uh, with Harvestella and um, Tactics Ogre Reborn. We've got more upcoming in November with primarily Pokemon and people trying to catch up on everything else that's released in late October and this month. Uh, so it's it's a hectic time of year, and we're all trying to find the time to. Uh, get to everything and make sure we cover give give every game a look in uh, before we have to start ranking these things <laughs> in December. Um, we have all the news articles up on the site that we've talked about on this podcast, including some of the more detailed ones uh, talking about the Falcom plans for releases next year and these uh, the Square Enix financials, as well as the uh, Nintendo sales update as well. Up all all up on the site. The Star Ocean Divine Force review that Scott wrote up is up on the site as well. So go ahead and give that a read if you're working your way through that game and want to just see another opinion on that. It seems like we're all thinking pretty positively on that game as kind of a kind of a, a surprise of the year. Uh, you can find us on Discord at discord.gg slash RPG site. Uh, we've had kind of an influx of users uh, lately with the um, just the tumultuous social media landscape of recent times. So go ahead and go in our Discord if you want to find just like-minded RPG fans to, to chat with and talk about all the recent releases. And you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for RPG site and you should be able to find us. So next week, we'll likely be talking about a few other new November RPGs. As they come out, maybe Pokemon. Uh, it depends on whether we get access or if James decides to play it early from his uh, secret store over there in Southern California. Yeah, there's a lot coming out. That's a long story short. So we probably won't know the itinerary for next week's uh, podcast uh, until we get there. So look forward to hearing from us then. Until next time, stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you later. We want later, no everyone. part in any shared piece. I piss on your common cause. That's the tactic overline. Yeah. <laughs> Good line.